0: Good afternoon, everyone. The Sacramento City Council will please come to order. Would the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum?
1: Thank you. Councilmember Kaplan? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Talamantes? Here. Councilmember Valenzuela? Here. Vice Mayor Maple? Here. Councilmember Guetta? Here. Councilmember Jennings? Here. Councilmember Vang? Here. And Mayor Steinberg?
0: I am here. Good afternoon, um, Mayor Pro Tem Talamantes. Would you please lead us in the land acknowledgement and the Pledge of Allegiance?
2: Please rise for the opening acknowledgments and honor Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Patwin Wintoon peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only, federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous peoples' history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Salute, pledge.
3: I pledge
0: allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I can
3: hear voice.
4: <laughs>
0: Well, very good afternoon to everyone, um, my colleagues the city staff, and most importantly, the members of the public who are here in the chambers, but also watching indoor, watching uh, online or on television. We have a very important uh, uh, agenda this afternoon, and let us get started with the consent calendar. Are there questions or comments on the consent calendar that uh, members would like to uh, take up, if not? Comment and questions on item one. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? Why don't we, do you want to make your comments now or should we hear from the public first? Oh, let's hear from the public first. Okay. How many people do we have on the consent calendar?
1: I have 12 people on the consent calendar. The first 11 are item one and then on item four. So for item 11 is LaCristia Young, Brian Smith, and Brandon Bolton.
5: Please proceed. Good afternoon, Council. A year ago, about today, I sat here in front of you guys as um, my dispensary was challenged by a nearby business, in which, thank you very much, we were unanimously voted for in that space. My name is Lucretia Young. I am one of the ten dispensary winners. I am one of the last few who will benefit from the year extension that you guys are going to approve today, and I thank you for that. We have spent a countless amount of money and dealings, and the truth is the program just started, and three years may or may not be long enough for somebody to open. There are a a various amount of things that can happen and so I really appreciate you guys taking the time to consider all of the different things that could happen but also in this process it allows us to correct some of the things that will make it better for the next ones to come up and actually be able to participate in a program that doesn't have to have as many obstacles that maybe the first set of us had to uh, deal with. So I wanna thank you for approving this extension. I do believe that those coming after me should still have the opportunity to open, and I thank you for also considering that. Thank
1: you for your comments, Brian Smith, then Brandon Bolton. Good
6: morning, Um, I'm Brian Smith. I'm one of the first dispensaries that was shut down by the city in 2011. Um, I was arrested and and incarcerated for six years. Um, The war on drugs has destroyed my life in so many ways. I lost my kids, my livelihood, Um, and I'm grateful that you guys created the core program. I've created so many friends um, that I call family now with this community. And um, the, the war on drugs is a war on the community and it has destroyed my life. And what I don't wanna see is someone like Lucretia King lose her opportunity. But I also don't wanna see number 11 and 12 lose their opportunity. And I'm asking that you guys look at this and create Core to be uh, a platform for opportunity and not a platform where they've invested maybe their whole life savings in building something and because of their expiration date, they might be damaged by this. Also for the 11 and 12, and the other group of people that are waiting for this opportunity, I would ask that not only do you allow another five from the original RFQ, but another 15, and have it be an open, like first come, first serve, provide a building, a location, and what that does is there's 30 standard licenses, and there will be 30 equity licenses, um, and it gives everybody that's waiting for an opportunity Um, to prosper in Sacramento and you guys have done a great job in allowing myself and my family and this community have this opportunity to be a part of something great to build you know family wealth and help correct a wrong by the war on drugs and a war on a community. Thank you.
1: Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Brandon Bolton, Andre R. Scott, then George Jackson and feel free to line up in the aisle.
7: Good evening, council. It's good to be back here. And I want to thank each and every one of you individually because I feel like you've all individually had so much to do with the growth of us core entrepreneurs from this program. Um, I also wanted to just thank the city for having this conversation because I think it means a lot to increase the amount of these retails. Mayor, thank you for keeping your promise to equity. I think, you know, coming out with these additional licenses, will make right on those wrongs and we'll finally get to some level of equity and equality within the retail space. I do believe that there should be an extension. If we're looking at reports from UC Berkeley or other college institutions, it typically takes two and a half years for billion dollar companies to get these retails going. And they already know who their partners are. They know where the money's coming from. For individuals like ourselves, we had to one, teach ourselves the business savviness to engage in those conversations, but on top of that, we had to do a lot of due diligence and vetting to find those who were also invested in our own success and growth, just as much as their own. And so that process goes unlooked, and I think that takes time. We don't wanna get forced into any of these types of relationships, as you guys are well aware, some are very predatory. Um, But I would say that you know I would love to see Additionally the five licenses go to those members that were from the first RFQ like 11, 12 13, 14 because those members still seem like they are the most ready to start to provide profit and tax revenues back to this city and I think verbally uh, Davina Laney I may, I may be mistaken you know that's something that we wholeheartedly as a community agree with I think that coming up with more for the additional, a uh, core program for a while. We didn't have a core program.
1: Thank you for your comments. Your time is complete. Our next speaker is Andre R. Scott.
7: We need five minutes.
1: Andre Scott is our next speaker. Then George Jackson, Joaquin Gonzalez.
8: Hi, thank you guys for being here today. Um, I am Andre Scott. I am a core member here in the city of Sacramento. Um, I'm here today to vote a, uh, against the extension if we are not going to give the next people that were waiting in the RFQ 11 through at least 15 the opportunity to also uh, apply for the storefront as well. Um, Everyone would be damaged by this uh, decision, but let's give the people that have been waiting, they need an extension, let's give it to them, but let's also think about the other people that are waiting as well from the original RFQ and also give them the opportunity to go and apply and get a storefront um, as well. And like Brandon Bolton was saying, um, it can take two to three years to do something like this, to open up a storefront. You know, So I feel like a year extension Probably isn't even enough time for you know the people that need to get their license open to do so. So I would like you know to the next people in line to get a fair chance, and we also give the people that are wanting an extension the opportunity as well. That's it.
1: Thank you for Thank your you. comments, George Jackson, Joaquin Gonzalez, then Diane um, Revels.
9: Good afternoon, everybody. My name is George Jackson and I'm a core member. I am present here today to vote against the one-year extension as a resolution fails to acknowledge all damaged parties. To request qualifications, evaluate each individual's business acumen and readiness to open and operate a dispensary. All core members were informed that if an initial winners failed to open within the designated three years, the next top scorers would have their opportunity we ask for a resolution that includes 10 new retail opportunities for core five for the 1115 from the original rfq effective april 1st 2024 and five new license opportunities dispersed in a new process we ask for a complete pause on the vote until all damaged parties are acknowledged thank you
1: thank you for your comments joaquin gonzales diane rebels Mark
10: Matubos. Good afternoon, Mayor and City Council. My name is Walking Gonzalez. I'm a consultant that works with a lot of the core members in the cannabis community. Um, I'm present here today to vote against the one-year extension, as Mr. Jackson said. Um, We asked for a resolution that includes the 10 new retail opportunities, um, 11 through 15, as he said, that would work. Their, most of their plans are already ready to go. It does take years to develop a business and 11 through 15 would essentially already have their businesses ready to go, plus the five new locations for uh, up and coming businesses that are launching. Um, we ask for a complete pause on the vote until all damaged parties are acknowledged. Then um, I could hope you see it the same way that the core applicants and the new businesses see it. Thank you.
1: Thank you for your comments. Diane
11: Rebels, Mark Matubos, My name is Diane. Rivalis. I'm a core member. I'm also number 11 and I wanted to vote no for the extension unless there's a resolution for the next that are in line. I feel like this is damaging for me because we were told that three years the applicants had to open up their dispensary and that was enough time to me that the, for them to open because I've already started the last year planning on Um, Opening up my dispensary like getting everything in line getting my building getting the cup. I also have an investor So I'm really ready to go within six months to a year So to me to give the extension without a resolution is very damaging. So I I hope you council members will think about this. Thank you
1: Thank you for your comments mark Mabutas then Ash Ashul Kumar
12: I thank you City Council, Um, you know I am here, presented here to vote against a one-year extension as the resolution has failed to acknowledge all damaged parties. Uh, My name, like I said again, is Mark Mabudis. as one of the 10 RFQ winners. Uh, I was able to get open within the 10 years or the three years and I did not ask for an extension. We have to understand that there's individuals here that have been waiting for this opportunity and are damaged by this opportunity. And for us to say, hey, we gave three years to everybody and not acknowledge those individuals who are next in line, we're asking for a vote on the pause, or a vote on, on the vote until all damaged parties are considered in this vote as well. I would like it to come back to you guys again and vote simultaneously to postpone the extension and, and vote yes for an extension with the next people in line. Um, I do wanna say uh, thank you guys for your guys' support and have a great day.
1: Thank you for your comments. I have eight more speakers on item one. The first is Ashil Kumar, then um, Jamisha Johnson.
13: I first and foremost, I'd like to thank you guys for all your guys' time. Uh, My name is Ashil Kumar and I'm present here today to vote against the one-year extension as the resolution fails to acknowledge all damaged parties. Uh, We asked for a resolution that includes 10 new retail opportunities for CORE, five for the 11 through 15 from the original RFQ and five for the new license opportunities. Um, We ask for a complete pause on the vote until all damaged parties are acknowledged. Thank you.
1: Thank you for your comments. Um, Jamisha, then Alexis Angelo.
14: Good afternoon. My name is Jamisha I'm here to, uh, I'm present here today to vote against the one year extension as the resolution fails to acknowledge all damaged parties. We ask for a resolution that includes 10 new retail opportunities for CORE, five for number 11 through 15 for the original RFQ effective April 1st, 2024, and five new license opportunities dispersed in a new process. We ask for a complete pause on the vote until all damaged parties are acknowledged. Thank you, Mayor and City Council, for listening.
1: Thank you for your comments. Alexis Angelo, then Rhonda Ernst.
15: Good afternoon, Mayor and City Council. My name is Alexis Angulo. I am the founder of Pretty and Posh Cannabis Brand and I am number 13. I have been anxiously awaiting my opportunity since 2021 and I am not completely against the extension. I am against being dismissed. I think it's not fair. Um, I have investors ready. I have a property ready. I've been ready since 2021 and there was never a mention of an extension up until two months ago. So I think that we should be considering what we're gonna do for the next people in line and for a new process for the next you know, for the new core members. Um, I am being damaged by this. I was affected by the war on drugs. I was raised by my mom, single mother. My dad was arrested when I was two. And we lived in different impoverished neighborhoods, evicted from home after home. I started working when I was 14 cleaning houses. So I think that you guys are creating more harm than helping people that have been affected by the war on drugs. And I don't want to be fighting with my, you know, fellow Corps members for an opportunity when this is your guys' fault you guys should be helping rep, rep you know fix the war on drugs and instead we're here fighting for new opportunities which isn't fair so i hope you guys reconsider um postponing the vote until you guys acknowledge all damaged parties thank you
1: thank you for your comments Rhonda ernest then leonardo alvarez
16: hi my name is Rhonda ernest i want to say hello to all you guys that are here today and thank you for um, allowing us to speak um From what I understand, I wasn't around at the time. I now own um, Natural High. Um, It's a delivery service, soon to be manufacturing and distribution. And what I wanna say is that I didn't have the opportunity to be a part of the first RFQ process. So I don't know how you have 10 winners. And those are the 10 winners and everybody knew that there were only gonna be 10. How do you get down to 11, 12, and 13, if you extend, in which I'm in favor of extending because I think that they need more time. But if you extend for them, those people that were up under them have to wait because of the simple fact that they were not the original winners. You can't just lateral them over and say they automatically get a spot in the new RFQ process because now that damaged people like me that didn't get the first opportunity but waiting for the second opportunity. I just don't agree with automatically saying they deserve a spot over you can't buy a lottery ticket today and lose this week and then turn around and use that same ticket for that for the next lottery. It's going to be damaged all the way around. there got to be a fair process, but I do believe those RFQs that are already on the table deserve extension. It takes a little longer. Everybody's situation is different. So some people can get it off the ground depending on their building, depending on what they need to do. Everything is different. And it's hard out here. I do believe they deserve an extension, but I also do believe that there is a process in place. If you wasn't one of the 10 um, winners, you didn't win. April 1st was the deadline. April 1st was the
1: deadline. Leonardo Alvarez.
16: Excuse
0: me. Excuse me. Excuse me. We cannot have shouting out in the chambers. Everyone has a chance to speak and to express themselves, and we're listening very intently, but please do not shout out from the chambers.
1: Our next speaker is Leonardo Alvarez, then Valerie Byrd, then Brandon Bolton. I
0: give five minutes.
1: Leonardo.
17: Good afternoon, Mayor and City Council. My name is Leonardo Alvarez, and I am a brother of a core member here. Um I like to greatly appreciate your guys' time for today. I am here to represent I'm here pres- present here today to vote against the one year extension as resolution resolution fails to acknowledge all damaged parties. I believe that the next five in line are more than, you know, prepared for everything that comes as far as a three year ext- uh, th- three years to build out their dispensaries, but I also believe that A resolution needs to be happened for all damaged parties because it's not just damaging the next five but also the past and previous ones who are requesting extension right now to build out their business it does take longer than you know three years but I don't believe that the next five in line don't deserve an opportunity to, to show you that they could build it in under three so I believe that a resolution should be you know set for both and not just one I've had a struggle with my sister for as long as I can remember and for as long as I can remember since 2021, she's been preparing this for this and she's ready to go. And I believe that the opportunity should be given if there is opportunity to be present. So that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you for your comments, um, Valerie Byrd and then Malachi Amen both on item
14: one. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Valerie Byrd and I am the uh, CEO and co-founder of Smooth Elevations Delivery. I just wanted to um, say that I am for the extension. It takes time to get your business up and operated. And I also want to point out the fact that, yes, I participated in the RFQ. And like I said, I am for the extension for the five people. I am opposed for the RFQ to be extended for 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and anybody else after that. Because number one, they did not win. And number two, it's not fair that you're not allowing new people that's coming in the opportunity to apply and get a dispensary license. Also, I'm looking at that fact, that I know for a fact, it was a little bit of discrepancies because I did go out for the RFQ. And in looking at that, some of the numbers lined up where it was the same people. Now, someone just got up here and was speaking on the fact that they're number 11. Well, number 10 also received a license and they're in the same household. So in looking at that, that is a discrepancy. So one person already have a license for a dispensary, And then number 11, the next person is going to get another license for dispensary in the same household, mother and son. That's a discrepancy right there. So I just wanted to say, I don't have to say I'm from here where everybody was damaged. I am from the community. I am the culture. I was affected on the war on drugs, all of us have. But I want the next RFQ or the next process to be fair, for everyone thank you, thank you, for your you very much
1: our next speaker is Malachi Amen on item one then Shelby Galthier Owensby on item four
18: greetings Mr. Mayor and members of the council I'm Malachi Amen uh, founder of Arise Holdings LLC um, I think we are in a very interesting situation here because we have marginalized people uh, kind of fighting other marginalized people and saying that we should not allow marginalized people to have their right to open unless some other marginalized people get a new batch of licenses. A new batch of licenses is a completely separate process. This council never abdicated or abandoned its right To um, extend the deadline, uh, provided that extenuating circumstances emerged. You never said that this council doesn't have the right to uh, extend the deadline. And there is a precedent for this council in the business development processes in general, not just cannabis, but business development processes in general, there's a precedent for this council to extend deadlines and to provide, you know, some exceptions based on real-world conditions on the ground. You know, we have zoning issues in the cannabis industry, which have prevented many of us from being able to find a location. You know, I went through three uh, vulture investors. Uh, after I've after I've found out that they were predators. I, I, I managed to assemble 1.5 million dollars to open up a, a Store, but I had to get through the conditional use process Which took another nine months and then it took five months after that to get a building permit And I'm I'm already into major tenant improvements to open my store. So Please grant the extension and have a separate process for additional licenses. Thank you for your Thank comments.
1: You. The next speaker is Shelby on item four, then Mac Worthy is our final speaker on item four.
19: Hello, how are you? My name is Shelby Gothier onsby and I used to be a United Nations ambassador Been in Time Magazine. And I'm here to comment on the city affordable housing. Um, there's a lot of transit related. Um,
0: I'm sorry, different item.
19: Which one? That's the, the one that I was trying to comment on. Oh, you
0: speaking on four on the consent code. I apologize yeah, to you. Yeah, but go, it also has
19: transit. Yes, go right ahead. Well, I apologize. You're so right. yep. I think one, because I know HUD is understaffed, and I know there's a lot of vacancies everywhere, and I know Karina's volunteer program would help because Habitat for Humanity oops, sorry, um, they have a volunteer program, but there's also an application program. So if you commit so many hours, they build you a house, which you probably have incentives yourself or something, like where I live in Glen Outer Grove, where they give you 200. Now, um, getting the county involved with four will be good because some people who are disabled can't always make it, and just providing, like, Bus passes and resources and free transit, like say, you know, you put in the office and you're a resident, so you get free transportation. Or like HealthNet has motive care where you call their line and then they buy you Lyft or Uber or transportation you request and it's paid by Medi Cal. That's something to get and sit with the insurance providers and in the county and also sharing that resource. So that would be helpful for the um, affordable housing. And then there are websites, not just HUD, but it's called Affordable Housing Hub. I think it's .us or something. It has many Section 8 and information properties where if you get in affordable housing, you wanna move, there's information to call and get, get HUD involved. Um, my time's up and thank you.
1: Thank you for your comments. Mack Worthy speaking on item four. Mr. Worthy is the last speaker on the consent calendar. Please proceed.
20: People, block grants and up over the housing is a disgrace. 1981, I raised it. What the hell was the government doing from then to now? Pipping the people. That's what you are doing taking the money. You got people who come here and talk about business and what about this business? This is real business, housing, but we talk about getting high. And you sit here and listen to it. Black folks wake up. You are up shit creek. Grants fail. Go back and look at it. Grants fail. It's there. How did I know? Because I was here looking at the bullshit go through that they did not understand what they're doing. Row housing, you are doing the same thing back to row housing, apartments, apartments. That's where crime going to rise. Something to be burned down after I'm dead. But you still would do that because these youngsters know nothing about capitalism. They know nothing about Capitalism teach some courses in capitalism, I'll sit there and dictate to you for what I know, over 50 years in business in this town. Right here. Over 50 years, for 28 years with this, living did California, did they give me anything for service for 28 years? Hell no. Wake up, people. I ain't dead yet.
1: Thank you for your comments. Mayor, I have no more speakers on the consent calendar.
0: All right. Let us uh, take Council comments and questions. I first have Council Member Kaplan, then, council, then Vice Mayor Maple.
21: Thank you, Mayor. Um, specifically on item one, uh, I know it's a very passionate issue uh, that we, at the Council had had a conversation on that we didn't fully reach agreement on. But one of the things we as Council did was understanding, you know, the first ten were the first ten. And I'm a firm believer, you know, when businesses get started, we don't put a limitation on them. Some succeed right away. Some need a little bit more time. Uh, I think we have to take a look at the entire picture. Uh, I wasn't on the council when this was all created. Uh, so this is this is a new process for me. But I do look at what happened, especially to Lucretia. That was a year delay uh, process and what happened to her in, in extenuating circumstances. So I am fully supportive um, of the extension in front of us today. Um, But Davina, I have a couple questions because uh, if you want to come up to the podium for me to ask. So I just want to make sure I understand from what our last council conversation is, because I think it's important with members in the audience that there may be um, some, some confusion, but You know, I think even among us on the dais, we know uh, that more conversation is being had. So why is this item just before us today without discussion of what additional licenses should be?
22: Yes, so... At the last Council, and and I appreciate you asking this question because I think it is important for people to sort of kind of see how how government works, um, especially in this regard. When we were last here on January 23rd, um, at that time, Council gave us two directions. One was to come back with the 12-month extension, um, and that had to be prior to that April 1st date. So that became our priority to make sure that came back before you by that date. Um, and so that's what's before you tonight, that's all that's before you, or I guess this afternoon. The other direction that we received at that time was to go back, consult with community, bring forward a framework and a proposal for addition, additional storefront permit licenses, sort of what that number would be and how they would be distributed. In order to do that, of course, we have to consult with community. Um, within two weeks after that January 23rd council meeting, we had our first core stakeholder meeting in person here in these chambers. Um, We did polling at that time. Um, We're going to have at least one more additional meeting to kind of again winnow down the responses that we got and to further work on that framework. And then um, as part of that we're also having to we have to go, of course, go to law and ledge and then back to the council. We have to create a code. We have to change the code. So, a code amendment has to be uh, drafted by our, our um, city attorney's office and brought forward. So, that is a longer process. Um, and so, we are working with all due diligence on that. We hope to come back in to council, I'm sorry, to law and ledge in April if we're able to do that. Um, but again, if we find that we need another core stakeholder meeting to again try to winnow those things and kind of talk this out and, and, and work with community. We wanna do that because we don't, we wanna do this with community, right? Not just the government imposing our will on this. And so that's really our plan at this point.
21: Which I, I really appreciate it because, you know, when it was here, one of the things I was like, we need to come back with an extension and with a plan. Um, and and I think it's very important that the community hears this, is it involved in there because their opinion matters. Um, I want to acknowledge everybody's had some sort of harm. Definition of harm we may disagree on, uh, but the African-American community, um, those who were early on cannabis, did get harmed. And I think we have to, as a city, take into consideration and really promote the core program, but also streamline and make it better, um, looking at what works in other areas, because um, it is cumbersome. Government is unnecessarily cumbersome sometimes, and I also acknowledge with the harm and those seeking to get into our cannabis industry aren't necessarily trained as business owners. And so how can we help streamline that for them so it shortens the process so they under they understand it? Because otherwise, then we're continuing to perpetuate the harm. When we say, here's a program, go forth and, and succeed. So for me, um, I am supportive today. I think we should definitely take this action for the 10 because of uh, extenuating circumstances that have gone on. But I don't want to limit it as we look at what do the next 10, 15, 5, whatever licenses you guys come up with in the community that we uh, should look at that comes back to council for discussion. I wanted to make sure that that process is extremely fair, but I also think it's important that um, we create a process that looks like, I'll use in government, I work for the Office of Public School Construction. They provide matching funds for school districts, and you get in a line, and the line is, here's the application, here's everything you need to put in the line, and you get a date stamp. And then they process it based off of who met the criteria to go in. So I don't like the uh, first in line. I like the who has everything who can open up uh, next. Understanding that it is never a perfect process because you fill it out and then you answer questions. But that would never put anybody into the back of the line, which I think uh, that should be explored a little bit more because that would potentially benefit those who are next in line who may be ready to go, but also opens it up those who may know the process and can get their shop opened. Um, so it creates that that fair balance that I think something we need to look to. But I wanna make it clear like today is, is part A of the conversation, part B is coming and if it's more than one com- uh, community conversation with our core members, let's have that. Um, I know that there's going to be differing opinions But what I want when it comes back to law and ledge and further discussion is we know those differing opinions within the community um, and why. And I know everybody here on this dais will happily listen if you send in emails. But I just wanted to bring you up to make it clear that we're not stopping the next process, but I think we have to retake a look. I'm not sure the RFQ process was the right thing um, that we did last time. So thank you, Mayor. Vice
0: Mayor. Vice Mayor.
23: All right. Thank you, Mayor. and Thank you, Davina. Um, I don't think I'll have any questions, so I appreciate you. it. Um, I just want to appreciate Councilmember Kaplan for the, the questions and the comments that you raised. I think that, um, you know, yes, this is, a, this is a very tense issue for understandably so, right? People have been putting their energy, their time, their money in and trying to start their businesses. And it's really, really challenging in this industry in particular um, for a lot of reasons that are related to the industry and a lot of reasons that are related to government. Um, And some of those things, I think are some things that we need to work on. We don't don't need to go through them now. Um, But I took a lot of notes, and I heard um, pretty much every side that there could be, everything from supporting the extension, not supporting the extension, supporting more licenses for the next in line, not supporting more licenses for the next in line, and instead opening it up. Um, And I just really want to say that this is a perfect example for me of why when we arbitrarily restrict the number of licenses that are available, this is what happens. Um, you know, there, it is a it's a number that we picked out. It's previous council members, previous councils in the past, um, but it's not necessarily based in any anything real, right? Like that we don't. We in fact we know based on. Um, the neighbor, based on the analysis that was done, that there are, there isn't real harm that's associated with a, a dispensary or another type of use opening up in a neighborhood or somewhere else. And so I am always going to be a proponent that we take a look at that, that we assess that, that we create more opportunities for people because I think what, what a wonderful thing if we could have more people have the opportunity to open up their business and not be restricted by getting in a line, signing up for a list, so on and so forth. And whoever's ready, whenever they're ready, they can do that. That's how every other business operates in our city, by the way. Um, and so I'm very supportive of that. I understand that not all my colleagues might agree with that, but that's where I am. Um, and I also think that as as a policy choice, we need to move forward and also talk about some of these things. I appreciated, Mr. Amen. Uh, your comments at the end, bringing everyone together, right? I appreciated bringing that. We're all on the same team. We want the same things. Um, And I think that we really need to take a look at our zoning, take a look at our sensitive uses, um, our conditional use permit process, and just the permitting in general, and see where we can reduce some of those barriers that do make it such a long process. I recognize that because I've gone through it and I've seen it firsthand it can be very extensive and so um, I hope that we can talk about that in the future as a body uh, in addition to increasing number of licenses or maybe even removing a cap entirely so just really want to appreciate everyone who came out today to share your your opinion we do um, we do listen and your input matters so thank you
0: so thank you so much
23: I will move the consent calendar
0: second okay good I just want to make a quick comment on this because I think this is a really important discussion and I really appreciate everybody coming to your house here this this the city hall and expressing yourselves the ultimately the question of whether or not there should be a limit on the number of dispensaries and core dispensaries the frame for me is whether or not it helps or hurts core businesses because the the concern would be that if you had unlimited numbers of dispensaries that that might flood the market in such a way that would harm those who were just getting started or who had been there a while and were building to the next stages of their business. But we can confront that question in a couple months because I appreciate this is a timing question today. As uh, Davina said, April 1st is the deadline, the three-year deadline. So if we don't act now, it's about a month away from April the 1st, almost March that those hard-working applicants who have done all their due diligence but just need more time would be would be aced out. That does not prejudice our intent to then look at expanding the number of dispensaries by how many we need to we need to deliberate and discuss in a way that I described a moment ago. That was the direction of the council several months ago the staff is following through. I like April for lawn ledge. Let's, see if, let's stick to that. I know, the fingers crossed. And then ultimately to the, to to the city council and there will be more opportunity. How we weigh between those who are 11 through 15 versus new applicants. That's a good discussion. Maybe we can accommodate both depending if uh, on how many how many additional permits we think are wise to to permit all right thank you all in favor of the consent calendar please say aye aye Aye. opposed abstain it passes thank you all right let us now move to item 10 which is the natomas basin conservation plan who might be presenting on this why don't we wait just a second it's okay if we can uh thank you for quietly uh exiting the chambers we appreciate it
24: nice
0: try Thank you. Please proceed.
25: Okay. Good afternoon, Mayor and Council Members. I'm Kelly Boyle, Associate Planner with the Community Development Department, and I will be speaking about the annual adjustment to the Natomas Basin Habitat Conservation Plan, known as the HCP. All new development within the Natomas Basin is subject to the HCP and the implementation agreement executed between the city and the federal and state wildlife resource agencies. The HCP specifies avoidance measures and mitigation for loss of habitat and incidental take coverage. Prior to new grading, development located in Natomas Basin, which is North Natomas and South Natomas in the city of Sacramento is subject to the payment of HCP fees. Per the requirements of the city's HCP and the HCP implementation agreement, the city considers a fee adjustment on an annual basis in order to ensure the accuracy of the funding to implement the HCP. The Natomas Basin Conservancy's Economic Consultant completed an updated finance model that indicates a necessity to adjust HCP fees in order to successfully implement the HCP. This year a fee increase is proposed for the 2024 construction season. The current fee without land dedication is $45,565 per gross acre with a proposed increase to $46,009. That is a uh, $444 increase. The fee with land dedication is currently $29,815 per gross acre and is proposed to be increased to $32,259 which is a $2,444 increase. Historically, the fee has been relatively stable. For example, 18 years ago in 2006, the fee was $41,182 per acre. And in 2010, it was $44,050 per acre. The increase adjustment is needed to accurately reflect the current costs of implementing the HCP. The Natomas Basin Conservancy Board and city staff recommend that the City Council adopt the resolution that would increase the HCP fees. City staff is available if you have any questions. Thank you, that concludes my presentation.
0: Thank you very much, Councilmember Kaplan, your district.
25: Well, Calamantes and I
0: Oh, sorry, both of you. <laughs> we
21: We both part, of you, We We're sorry about that. We, We partner on this. Oh, go. Um, But I I think this is really important. Um, It's a ministerial process that has to come to us every year as a result of federal requirements. But one of the things I do want to point out is we've been able to protect 5,153 acres so far as as part of this. So when people talk about the balance of what are we doing here in Sacramento, and it's also north of us in Sutter County, um, this is a good thing of helping protect the migratory birds, the open space um, and what makes Sacramento unique. I do find it interesting that the land acquisition went down uh, $2,000 but hey, you know because um, everything is more expensive nowadays but definitely something that I am very supportive of uh, that we continue to do and I will open and close and let my colleague finish this out.
0: Other council member for the Natomas Basin Mayor Pro Tem. <laughs>
2: Uh, Kelly, welcome to the podium. <laughs> I believe this is your first time presenting about the HCP uh, fee. Typically, it's been Cheryl behind you. Um, so, I just want to welcome you and looking forward to working with you in the years to come to help implement this fee and continue the good work. Thank you. And I'll second it.
0: right Do, do we have public testimony, Madam Clerk? We do not. We do not. So, um, it's been moved and seconded. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Abstain. That measure passes. Very good. Thank you. Good presentation. Thank you very much. All right, we now move to one of the main items on our agenda this afternoon, and that is uh, to consider a, uh, to review and comment today, not to vote upon, to review and comment today on a proposed citywide community benefits agreement ordinance. And so who's going to present on this? And, uh, the team, you got the team, come on up, <clears throat> Fritchie, how are you, so,
26: Leslie? So, hi, it's very nice to see you, and it's a great joy to be with you today to present this item for your consideration, your input, and your policy direction. So I'm Leslie Fritchie of your Office of Innovation Economic Development. And today, Ellen Sullivan of the Office of Innovation Economic Development, And Michael Sparks of the City Attorney's Office are here to seek your input and direction on a proposed community benefits agreement ordinance. This ordinance outlines a requirement to bring forward a community benefit agreement for projects that meet certain criteria based on direct city assistance. This is being brought forward for your input today and must be brought forward for council action as a requirement under the Aggie Square settlement agreement with the Sacramento Investment Without Displacement. Putting this draft ordinance together has taken some time, and to be honest, it hasn't exactly been an easy task. But we've tried to strike a balance between input that we've received from community members in SIWD and the business community, creating a defined CBA requirement which includes benefits to the residents and neighborhoods adjacent to a proposed project, while not negatively impacting development activity in our city. Our approach is to allow the tailoring of a CBA, to the needs and parameters of the proposed project rather than being prescriptive since one size doesn't fit all. We have outlined a framework, not a specific outcome. Additionally, the draft ordinance respects the role of the council as the city's elected representatives to make the ultimate decision on the inclusion of elements within a CBA if one is triggered. We had many meetings with our community and SIWD members over the course of the past two years And I've enjoyed them and acknowledge that there are differences in approach. We're insensitive to those differences and thus wanted to make sure that the workshop today was a transparent process where all views could be heard by the council. Therefore, the format today is Ellen will follow me and then we'll have a presentation by SIWD. And also, we've received other stakeholder input, so those letters that we've received have all been included in your packet for consideration today. So we look forward to hearing your input. We know it'll be a lively discussion, and let's get started with Ellen. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Leslie, for all your hard work, um, sort of spearheading the effort from the staff perspective. Thank you.
27: Good afternoon. I'm Ellen Sullivan, a senior project manager with the City Manager's Office of Innovation and Economic Development. And as Leslie mentioned, after staff's presentation, Sacramento Investment Without Displacement has prepared a presentation for the Council. In 2018, the city bar- embarked on its Inclusive Economic Development Initiative. As part of the initiative, the city adopted the citywide Inclusive Economic Development Guidelines. The guidelines provide a framework to ensure that the city's investments foster economic and community development and job growth within the city of Sacramento and create opportunities for all of Sacramento's residents. Projects requesting economic subsidies from the city are evaluated using the guidelines. While the Aggie Square project did not require entitlements from the city, it will receive $30 million in assistance from an enhanced infrastructure finance district. The city evaluated the potential investment and determined the project was consistent with the inclusive economic development guidelines because it included commitments for community benefits, such as project employment, workforce training, housing, youth engagement, and community access to resources, including establishment of an Aggie Square community fund. As part of the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement, the city committed to bringing a community benefits ordinance to council for consideration. The ordinance would require a community benefit agreement for significant development projects with public financing or incentives. As we started crafting the draft community benefits agreement ordinance, we looked at several examples of community benefit ordinances, policies, and agreements. And for the purposes of this discussion, we are going to highlight community benefits ordinances for the cities of Detroit, Michigan, Richmond, California, as well as the city's inclusive economic development investment guidelines. While reviewing the other documents, we noticed consistencies, and we used the consistencies to put together a framework containing four components, threshold, benefits, oversight, or enforcement, and metrics that would be considered when drafting the ordinance. The first component is the threshold. What size and types of projects could require a CBA? The City of Detroit's CBO was passed in 2016 as a voter initiative, and it has two tiers of development projects which would be required to implement a CBA. Tier one includes projects $75 million or more in value and includes $1 million in city investment. Tier two includes projects $3 million or more in value with $300,000 in city investment. The city of Richmond's CBO was adopted by council in January of 2022. If a development receives any public financing over $100,000, receives a transfer of ownership or lease of right to occupy any city-owned property at or below market value, or is the subject of a development agreement, the CBO would apply. And the thresholds are so low in Richmond's ordinance because the city has very few development projects. Another piece of the framework is benefits. Should the ordinance provide a menu of types of benefits or be more open-ended to allow the community and the developer to work together on unique mutually beneficial objectives? The cities of Richmond and Detroit have different approaches to their benefits in their ordinances. Richmond's contains baseline community benefits that are already in their municipal code and requires the developer to make financial contributions to a community benefits fund for city administration of the benefits. In contrast, Detroit's CBO remains silent on the benefits to allow communities the flexibility to negotiate benefits that meet their specific needs. Sacramento's citywide inclusive economic development guidelines includes criteria outlining benefits that projects that the city investment, invests in should include, such as workforce development and arts and cultural amenities. The Aggie Square settlement agreement requires the city CBO to consider specific benefits, including long-term small and local business protection, anti-displacement strategies, and the production of affordable housing. How does the city ensure that there's accountability or enforcement after the community benefits agreements are put into place? The Detroit CBO includes an enforcement committee that has the ability to claw back city funds if the developer is not complying with the CBA. The Richmond CBO does not contain enforcement provisions because while they adopted an ordinance, they're still working out implementation. And the Aggie Square CBPA contains a meet and confer process between the city and the developer if one of the parties is not performing. How does the city monitor that a CBA is performing as agreed upon? The city of Detroit requires annual compliance reports but the city of Richmond CBO does not contain any type of metrics.
26: The Aggie Square
27: CBPA contains metrics such as 20% of the hiring will be filled by local residents. And the city of Sacramento has adopted criteria and measurements for the inclusive economic development guidelines. The framework exercise led us to two documents, a policy level document, which is the Community Benefits Agreement Ordinance, and this was drafted to be streamlined and flexible based on the direction we received, and an implementation level document, which will be the Community Benefits Agreement Implementation Guidelines. This will be the detailed document that will guide the city, the developer, and the community on how a CBA will be crafted. This document will also include specifics on the community outreach and engagement process. Based on the framework, staff prepared a first draft of the CBAO and then revised it based on direction from the Law and Legislation Committee, comments received at the April 18th and October 17th Law and Legislation meetings, stakeholder input and the city's desire for a streamlined ordinance. At the October 17th law and legislation meeting, the committee asked that a revised ordinance be brought before the full council for a workshop. Here's a summary of the changes made to the ordinance as a result of the two law and legislation meetings. The changes are outlined in your staff report, but we did want to include them in the PowerPoint for your reference. We wanted to go over some of the key points of the draft CBAO. The ordinance currently has a threshold of $10 million of city investment or subsidy that would require a community benefits agreement. The ordinance defines subsidy consistent with government code 53083 as referenced in the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement as an expenditure of public funds or loss of revenue to the city, such as grants, loans, or fee waivers. All CBAs require compliance with prevailing wage laws, local hire provisions, (coughs) and designated third party beneficiaries. These are requirements that cannot be waived. The benefits in the ordinance are required by the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement. Transportation was an added benefit and the ordinance also allows the council to add project specific benefits. The ordinance also includes language to allow council to approve a CBA with some, none, or all of the benefits plus any additional benefits. This allows council the flexibility to tailor benefits that are most beneficial to the community while balancing the realities of delivering a project. The ordinance also provides exemptions for all housing projects, including certain mixed use projects and pipeline projects that received site plan and design review approval by the effective date of the ordinance. The ordinance requires the city manager engage the community at two key points, when developing the CBA and when evaluating the performance of the CBA. And it also includes a provision to allow the city manager to adopt policies and procedures to implement and enforce the ordinance. We've been asked questions about past projects that have received city assistance and this slide provides a snapshot of those projects overlaid with the threshold in the current draft ordinance. (laughs) You're welcome. After the conclusion of today's workshop, we plan to take the feedback received and hope to return to council in spring or summer with a revised ordinance for council consideration. And this concludes our presentation, and I'd now like to turn it over to Sacramento Investment without displacement for their presentation.
0: Please, thank you. Thank you, Ellen. <clears throat> Who's presenting? <laughs> welcome, welcome.
3: Good afternoon, thank you for um, having us this afternoon. My name is Kim Williams, I'm the Hub Director for Sacramento Building and Healthy Communities, and this is my crew. They're gonna talk to you in a little bit. Um, we've been rocking with each other for a while. I just wanted to give you a little bit of an overview of what Sacramento Investment Without Displacement is and how we came to be. Back in 2010, when we started Sacramento Building Healthy Communities, that place-based initiative that really worked within probably 958, 2024, um, 17. And so, in during that work, we had at that time a community development action team. And the work that they did really was looking at how do we invest in our communities, how do we support our communities in need without stripping those communities of the fabric of who and what they are and how do we keep people in their homes, in their neighborhoods where they've raised generations of families who have been pushed out. So we've seen what gentrification can do. We've experienced it and we really saw it happening in Oak Park. And so we came together realizing that as an action team, we needed to be stronger, we needed to have more voice. And so what we did was we took the principles that we laid during that action team and realized we needed to actually have an organization that could really work together in a collaborative spirit. And so, and work on behalf of our communities and work on behalf of our residents that really needed the support. And so what we were able to do is come together with not only the folks who have been working with us in Building Healthy Communities, but other folks who have been working in Sacramento on a lot of the same issues. And so as a result of that, um, we started Sacramento Investment Without Displacement in 2020. Uh, What's beautiful about our organization is we have a history of we've been working together for 10 plus years, uh, many of us. And so as you'll see, our members include uh, Sacramento Building Healthy Communities, of course. Uh, We also have Sacramento Housing Alliance, Organized Sacramento, Civic Thread, Sacramento Act, ECOS, ACE, United Latinos, Um, Lifting Up Love and Sacramento Community Land Trust. That's just some of them. There's others that are not listed. Uh, We also have residents, we have folks who are part of neighborhood associations, we have folks who are part of other organizations that come to our meetings, that come to the table, that lend their voice, that go out into the community and bring those voices into the space too. Um, And so this group coming together really started again because we were based in the south area, that's where the, the root of our work started. When we first heard about the Aggie Square project before anything was broken, just the rumors of it coming through, we immediately start thinking, wait, this could be an amazing opportunity for the Oak Park area, but also to show how business, how communities can really work together so that there's a a benefit for everybody. And so we were excited about the project because we felt that even the lights are excited. We're excited (laughs) about the project because we really (laughs) felt this was going to be an opportunity for us to really work together to really benefit our communities and let them have an opportunity to have a voice in what was going to happen. And so when we started that work, Um, So as we became an organization, the timing of it all coming together uh, really, really did benefit. And so because we had um, already established our collective collaborative space together, we already established ourselves as an organization, we felt this was gonna be the opportunity for us to really work together to do something that was gonna be changing, um, life-changing actually for our community, for our city, for our residents. So uh, I'm gonna turn it over to Gabby Trayle, who's gonna talk about the next steps.
28: Yes, thank you. Um, And it is important to reiterate that for us at the very beginning of 2019, we were super excited to see more investments in our community, but we wanted to ensure that any public investment in our communities didn't actually lead to displacement, but that instead it led to benefiting residents there. And so um, there was the the work that has encompassed our, our work both includes talking to residents since 2019 through the pandemic, um, engaging them for the Aggie square project, but always in mind, we always kept in mind that we wanted to look at projects throughout the region in that at the heart of all our work is that low income communities of color should be included in whatever decisions are being made of plans that are going to shape their local communities. And so, um, We did a lot of work both engaging residents um, and we can share some of the conversations we had with them and even engaging them. We have a meeting tomorrow that uh, a group of colleagues are going to be leading um, to talk to more residents. But we also did a lot of work looking at other regions and what kind of CBAs folks were incorporating in their local um, communities. And so with that I'll pass it over to my colleague who who did all the research.
29: So as Gabby said, I'm here today to let you know about the research that Sacramento Investment Without Displacement did to inform their thinking around community benefits ordinance. So we started with looking at academic journals that were um, analyzing the outcomes of community benefits agreements um, that had gone before. Not ordinances, but community benefits agreements, right? Because those are the platform upon which community benefits ordinance have been informed. So that research looked at community benefits agreements from Portland, Cleveland, Detroit, the Bronx Terminal, the Yankee Stadium, Columbia University, and Pittsburgh, just to name a few looking at what was the content of those agreements and what manifested as a result of those agreements, good and bad. We then started looking at jurisdictions that had community benefits ordinances. So um, similar to the city, we looked at the city of Detroit, city of Richmond, we also looked at St. Petersburg, Florida, and Los Angeles County, and started to analyze what were the content of these ordinances, what were the differences, what were the similarities. We also looked at reports that were written about what was the history of these ordinances, why did these ordinances come about? So for example, with the city of Detroit, that started as a resident-led effort because they wanted to get more investment in the city for things that the community felt were needed as opposed to large scale uh, development interests outside of the city. Uh, A city council then submitted a competing ordinance. It went to the voters and the city council ordinance won. When you look at the city of Detroit's ordinance, it very much speaks to the need that community wanted voice, right? And I think that was the thing that we saw, that ordinances have an intent behind them or should have an intent behind them. They are one tool in the policy landscape. Therefore, as Leslie lifted up, they're not plug and play right, they should look at the existing framework, they should look at where the land use policy landscape needs to be strengthened and the things that the city wants to achieve. So when you look at like the city of St. Petersburg, right, it has different levels of benefits depending on the scale of the project. And there is a menu of things that the developers can choose from. The goal of the St. Petersburg Ordinance is to help the city advance climate planning, to advance economic development, small business protections, so they can have intentionality and should have intentionality behind them. Our research has continued as we're following community benefits programs that are coming out of general plans in places like um, uh, Cupertino and Santa Monica. So they continue to evolve. Um, Ordinances, community benefits ordinances are relatively new, but I think our key takeaway, as I have already said, right, they should be intentional. There should be a clear reason why they're being used in the landscape environment. Our research also showed that the more general they are, the more problematic they are, the less likely that they are lead to benefits either that the community wants to see or that the city is hoping to achieve. We also saw too that if you don't really have detailed language, which is often in community benefits agreements versus ordinance, that it can create a problematic situation. It can create a hurdle as opposed to creating a streamlined process that people can follow. You know, the goal is not to stop development. The goal, again, is to be a tool to help aid the land use environment, to help shape the city, whether it be small business protection, whether it be climate goals, whether, you know, there's a myriad of things that they do. They look very different depending on the jurisdiction that they're in. So I would just lift up the need to be intentional and not too general. When they're too generic, they are extremely problematic.
30: Go back to that and you'll do you'll do what you did. Um, hi, Tamika Lacluse with um SIWD, Second Investment Without Displacement, but also with the Sacramento Community Land Trust. Do you need me to yell? Yes, Sorry about that. I'll use my teacher voice. <laughs> and some of you know I was a teacher for 20 years so here we go um, so I want to really tell you about some of the outcomes of the Aggie Square development and the Aggie Square Community Benefit Partnership Agreement the CBPA because that's really the foundation for what's coming what has come before you today uh, 50 million in affordable housing guaranteed local hire goals that with the CBPA, UC Davis and Aggie Square is more likely to meet than with just a general mm, and agreement. And then um, also the well, that Employment Development Center with Sumiko um, and education programs that help bridge the connection between our kids in elementary, middle school, high school and give them an actual pathway to be able to participate in something that is in their community. And to remind you all that the Aggie Square agreement was out of a lawsuit. It was because the community tried, we tried to go to the developers. We tried to go to the UC Regents. We asked, said, hey, can we work with you to ensure that there are benefits for the people who are impacted long-term residents in these communities who could be displaced with from this uh, as a result of this development. And you all entered this lawsuit with them because they wouldn't do it on their own. Those commitments were not going to be made without an intervention. And we're trying to avoid that today. And we're trying to avoid that for the longer term sustainability of Sacramento. If we have to keep coming back every time that a development comes in and have to renegotiate terms and have to keep fighting for child care, keep fighting for small business protections, keep fighting for 25% local hire, then... We're, we're not moving forward with the progress that you all want to make. It's not lost on us that you have a, a general plan meeting also later on today with a lot of anti-displacement, climate goals, housing goals. Yes, but this also is going to be a tool to help you reach those goals that you have laid out in that 2040 plan. So please don't forget that. Uh, our community benefits agreement is to further prevent or p- further protect residents from displacement we want commitments to enhance transportation reduce climate change impacts mitigate those those harms that come from that come to communities or that are currently in those communities our small business protection program which should be in- included in the ordinance, is meant to make sure that not just people's families aren't displaced, but our small businesses, our local businesses, our mom and pops. And we want to make sure that the city of Sacramento works with communities and organizations like Sac Investment Without Displacement, because having community at the forefront is really what all these policies are, are intended to do, they're supposed to help the people who have been left behind by um, your previous council members or councils or policies or whatever it may be. Let's fix it. You're okay, you're do I have one more? No? Yeah, you do this. Oh, okay. I'm gonna continue. <laughs> so, Thank you so much, Ellen, for and, and Leslie um, pointing out some of the differences between community benefits uh, agreements and ordinances and um, different policies around the country. But we really want to make sure that you guys understand where we're at, where the city's at, and where some of those stakeholders um, have had influence in what they've asked for, because we've met with them too. Um, You know, our goal is, you know, always to try to work together so that we don't have to fight, you know, on opposite ends of things. But, you know, SAC investment without displacement, three million dollars in in city investments is much more reasonable than ten million dollars. And not just three million dollars. In investments, but also the incentives, whether it's zoning changes, whether it's subsidies, whether it's um, expediting permit processes, all those things have value to that developer. Without ensuring that it is tied to public investment, it does not have the teeth to do what it's intended to do, Mayor. Additionally, we want to make sure, are you okay? Thank you. <laughs> the thing? Um, additionally, we want to make sure that any public dollars, I mean, these are our tax dollars, right? These are the business, you know, the tax um, dollars of businesses, of residents. We want our money to be actually used for furthering public investment, not developers' projects. We want to make sure that there are minimum benefits for current residents. Now, housing, transportation, workforce development, small business protections, childcare, health access if you're a hospital. But we know that this is a fight that cannot be won without you. We need you as council members, as the mayor, to really stand up the flexibility that you all have been given developers has not served our community well. And we see it. You can see it on the streets. You can see it with our homeless numbers. You can see it when you have folks who are protesting for fair contracts. Our communities, our families, are already under-resourced. And this is an opportunity, a tool, to put resources back in their hands.
0: Would there be an opportunity to ask some yes. questions okay. I want you to finish your presentation then I
31: Yeah, I just want to um, emphasize the power and the voice of community and the need to have them at the negotiating table for this CBAO and for any CBA that comes to comes out of this process. Um, this is about equitable access to decision making and it really living the inclusive approach to economic development, not just talking about it. Uh, We know that community members are the experts in their communities and in their own lived experience. They need a direct role in any CBA that comes to the table in addition to negotiating um, and building upon those minimum benefits that Tamika was chatting about. This is not a radical ask. It's actually a core element of most of the CBAs um, that the city has done research on and that we ourselves have done research on. Um, emphasis on community benefits agreement. We have to ask ourselves who is actually benefiting from the projects that are coming into our communities and if it's not community, then we might need to revisit. We might need to revisit this approach, the ordinance and any agreement that comes out of it. I'd also just like to emphasize that uh, in some of the slides that the city shared with you, um, there was the implementation guidelines, right? That you all can or cannot use. Um, That's where all the details are. Um, That's not included in the policy language. We need to make sure that we have those protections, that we have transparency, and that it's not just living in a separate document that may or may not get used. Siloing engagement and limiting community participation in decision-making processes is a form of paternalism, and it's a characteristic of white supremacy culture. We should all be doing our part to dismantle that. Residents represent the people most threatened by impacts of large developments in their communities. They deserve equitable access to come to the table and to negotiate what they want to see happening in their community. At Civic Thread, many of you know, we've led many, many community-based planning events across the city um, and across the county and across the six-county region. Um, And we particularly engage with our low-income disadvantaged community members. And we've heard over and over, loud and clear, that communities do not want to be planned for. They want to be included in the conversation. They want to do the planning. They don't want people coming in and making decisions for them. Heed that. We've also seen the city participate in equitable processes. We've seen y'all do participatory budgeting. I've personally got to work with the public works department that is really championing equity in their transportation projects. We need that consistency across all departments. The ordinance presented to you by city staff lacks specificity around the enforcement. It lacks transparency. It lacks the protections I was chatting about earlier and it doesn't include community voice. Instead, we propose an enforcement committee with other guardrails to make sure the projects stay accountable to the community that they're gonna be impacting. Again, we need that transparency. We need to see that in the policy. This CBA ordinance is where you put your equity talk into meaningful action, where you give it legs and let it walk. To show the constituents that you, that you serve, that you are committed to equity, truly, and that you are committed to inclusive economic development. Before we take questions, I really would like to urge you all to reject the ordinance as it stands and make the recommendations that our our coalition has put before you. They're not just coming from this coalition, they're coming from constituents that all represent your districts. We've had these discussions for over four years now. We cannot continue to silence community. I'd like to thank all of you for hearing our our comments today, and I'd like to thank Leslie and Ellen for their presentation and for working with us over the past four years, and we're ready for your questions.
0: Thank you very much. We are going to take public testimony, uh, but I know I would like to ask a couple of questions about, first of all, thank you. Um, And again, I'm going to talk about um, similar history uh, after the public testimony about how we got here and the significance of the Aggie Square settlement and how it brings us uh, to this moment but what I want to ask now is whether or not SIWD has a specific proposal and what I mean by that is for example when you describe a CBA ordinance having minimum benefits and you list housing and transportation through the other categories do you have a specific number for example around the, the housing requirement a specific or standard, or specific standard around transportation and or local hiring because this is the dilemma in a way as we think about this good, good and great principle that you've put forward is how do you have a numerical standard when every project by definition is going to be different? So I'm not, I want to, we'll, I want to not argue, but discuss all that in a few moments. But I want to just ask whether or not your concept or proposal has specifics around uh, the level of housing required, the level of transportation required, the level of local employment required.
32: So I can speak to this a little bit. Um, For two and a half years, every Friday, just about every Friday, we met with city staff. And... Talked about all Identify
0: these. yourself, will you please, Tammy?
32: Oh, I'm sorry, I'm Tammy Dramer with Organized Sacramento and, and SAC Investment Without Displacement, a resident of District Six and My Businesses in um, Rick Jennings district. So um, for for this long time, and we, we started there, right? How do we how do we how do we build a scalable model? Correct, like like that was introduced in in some of those other examples that we were given, and we brought that to law and legislation. The uh, staff was directed to no, we don't like that. We want to keep it simple. So all of that sort of research that we did and information that we brought was sort of throwing that baby out with the bathwater, um, just because they told us we were told that we couldn't go down that road. You can go down
0: any road you want. I mean, this is your purpose. Well, we tried to go down that road, and
32: roadblocks were put up for that. So, transportation is more complicated, obviously, than sort of a housing requirement or benefits requirement that's scalable. Transportation is much more intricate and complicated than that. Um, So, this is where sort of, you know, all we heard was simple, 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 keep it simple. Rather than let's be detailed, let's be circumspect about what each benefit is, which each minimum benefit is. So this is where we've landed. I don't think anybody's happy at this point.
0: Well, where have you landed? You don't have a
32: specific.
30: We did. Number. We
32: have a specific number for. Sorry, I'll let Tamika
30: take over. Yeah. So when we started this before, I had all this gray hair. We brought a specific ordinance language to the city of Sacramento. We included in that, um, in that, in that ask, or in that spirit of working together, um, at least 25% of residential units would be affordable. Um, We also don't believe that all housing projects should be exempt. Affordable housing is what we really need. Market rate is where we are seeing all our vacancies. Um, so again, you know, making sure that um, the amount of subsidy and and, and benefits that the commu- that the city gives uh, development projects should initiate the CBA at $3 million. We want to make sure that there is a local hiring agreement where there are minimums that that developments will try their very best, working with our unions, working with our laborers to ensure that, um, that we are not pulling people from outside of our community to work on jobs inside of our community. And then again, um, our 25% in residential units um, for any residential project, we would like to be affordable, or there needs to be, as I was here on Thursday night about your mixed income housing ordinance, right? The the, working with community, um, uh, uh, low income, moderate income, community development partners to make sure that at least 25% of parcels or land can be used by, by other parties to build and ensure affordable, accessible housing. And am I missing anything?
28: I guess the only thing I would add is that we have a full ordinance. So the answer is yes. We Just can make it. it available to you all. I think we shared it with Leslie and her team. Um, but we do have an item by item line item by line item around specific. housing, transportation, workforce, um, and small business protections. So. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, thank you. Um, why don't we turn it over to the public for public testimony? And then we'll have a discussion again. Again, there's not a vote. There's not a vote tonight um, or today. But um, council direction, go ahead.
1: Thank you, Mayor. I have 15 speakers on this item. Chris Norum. Um, Herlindo Alfaro, Dan Branton.
33: Mayor, Council, Chris Norum, North State Building Industry Association. Um, Thanks to the staff for putting this together. Uh, We are concerned overall about the message that this uh, is sending uh, but I do want to thank the staff for including um, and the Council for their direction to exempt housing because uh, it was our understanding that the objective of this was to go after major job generation projects and not to basically make this a debate about inclusionary zoning in this forum. So um, appreciate that. I don't think that's the intention of the council or the lawsuit is to uh, turn this into an inclusionary zoning uh, issue. Um, I would like to say that um, with the um, with the low interest loans and then the fee waiver components that are in there, you could see how even an affordable housing project could actually probably hit the ten million dollar marker if the, if the math was if it was a big enough project. So I would ask that um, the council and staff consider. Specifically, saying that it, how affordable housing projects themselves are not going to trigger this inadvertently. Um, that's the only thing I have to add to it. Um, thank you so much for your time, and consideration.
1: Thank you for your comments, Herlindo Alfaro. Then Dan Branton.
13: Good afternoon, City Council members. My name is Herlindo Alfaro. I am a nine-year member in the Carpenters Union. I come here today to speak on the values of our membership and make sure that our members receive the proper prevailing wage and area standards. Carpenters deserve to earn fair wage, retirement, and medical. Benefits that help a worker and provide prosper, not only for themselves, but for the family as well. Healthcare is important to be able to provide for their families. I'm grateful to have this benefit, because as a parent, when your child gets ill, one worries and wants to take them in for a checkup right away. Without it, other solutions would be more difficult. Apprenticeship meaning a debt free education guarantees we will continue to have trained skilled and experienced members that will be able to complete high quality projects on time and the number one thing their safety for me it opened up many doors to learn different types of carpentry local hire would benefit both the workers and the community in many ways carbon emissions by reducing vehicle miles driven by construction workers it would lead to more construction workers to be more involved with the community with events like this one. Um, It would also make work and life balance for families in this county. Being a husband and a father, it has given me the opportunity to spend more time with my family, being able to catch, coach my son's soccer team, and do whatever daily activity my wife wants to get into. (laughs) Uh, Being a member of the Carpenters has given me all these tools, from the education starting as an apprentice to a journeyman now, helping me with being able to provide health care for my family, as well with local hire to keep me close to home. I think everyone working under these agreements deserve the opportunity to earn these same benefits. Thank you.
1: you coming. Dan Branton. Dan Branton, then David Moore, then Giovanna Fajardo.
34: Hello, everybody. Uh, my name's Dan Branton. Uh, I came through the construction trades uh, as a carpenter. I'm currently a union rep for the NorCal Carpenters Union. Uh, I've been in the greater Sacramento area for probably 40 years. I've probably lived in every one of your districts at one point or another. Uh, you know, and I've seen the cities through its ups and its downs. And, uh, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and a lot of things really similar to this. And I want to take a second to kind of look at it in a different way. You know, I, uh, I think we all know that one uh, amazing person that's just beautiful inside and out and we see that person not know their own value and worth and you know we see them getting pushed around and taken advantage of uh well right now that is us that's our city um you know (laughs) we're watching uh sacramento get taken advantage of you know if you hear uh you know you know It'll never pencil. Uh, no matter what the uh, incentive is asked for, it's never going to work out if the community gets some sort of benefit. So really, we got to uh, we got to stand firm on this uh, and know our own worth. And you know, the carpenters union is here uh, partnering with SAC Investment without displacement to remind our city of its worth and to stand up and 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 know that, that uh, you know these proposals. Uh, you know, with such a high threshold, they're just ridiculous, you know. Uh, well, the benefits, you know, they should be considerably greater. I mean, we all know that housing should be affordable and, uh, you know, there should be protections for small business, uh, the housing, the workers, but, you know, we shouldn't even stop there. We should be looking at uh, pushing a prevailing wage further in. We should be looking at health care for all workers. We should look at, be looking at apprenticeship, local hire, and compliance for the, uh, the crime scene job sites. I'm asking Thank you for that your
1: comments. Your time is complete. David Moore, then Giovanna Fajaro.
35: Good evening, Mayor Steinberg, council members. Uh, my name is David Moore. I am an employee of Civic Thread, who as you probably now know, is very involved in this process. I'm also a resident of North Oak Park. Uh, I am here today to support the uh, CBA as it was intended, as SIWD has continued to try to put forward and is hoping to secure today. Uh, I'm here to ask you all to ask the hard questions when public comment is over. You all represent the communities in which live in your districts um, within the government process. And I think what we're seeing right now is that the government process is not working for a lot of those communities. So I'm asking you all to see it from that perspective. Um, and try to secure what we are looking for. I think Oak Park in particular is an interesting and maybe most prominent case study of what happens when you have significant historical underinvestment met with hyperinvestment in recent time. Um, UC Davis, the Triangle District, Broadway, Complete Streets, all of these things are continuing economic pressure and displacement efforts. Um, And the result of that is a loss of cultural identity. I'm certainly a product of that. I do not represent the cultural identity of Oak Park. I do represent the growing trend of it though. Um, You're also losing out on a lot of affordable housing, both um, from a purchasing standpoint and rentals. I think ultimately um, the current language is greatly out of fear. It is out of fear of a loss of economic development. And I think SAWD has put a lot of work into researching and looking into and debunking that myth that with the language they have tried to include, you will lose out on that economic development. I don't think that is going to happen. Um, Sacramento is a wonderful place to live. I think people want to continue to invest in this community and this city, but part of what makes it so special is its diversity. And if you continue on the path that is set before you, uh, you will miss out on um, what makes it so great and wonderful. So. Thank you, and thank
1: you. Thank you for your comments. Giovanna is our next speaker, then A. Bayomi Brownfield.
36: Good afternoon. Giovanna Fajardo with ACE, the Alliance of Californians for Community Empowerment also with SIW, um, DW, sorry, Sacramento Investment Without Displacement. And so we've been coming here, we've been having meetings, we've been talking to the community. You know, Reminder, we're here because it was a process that wasn't included with community. And part of what I do at ACE on a daily basis is talk with the tenants, talk with the community members, talk with the transit riders, get on the bus, get on the light rail and actually talk to people that are being directly affected. Actually was part of the process in Richmond. Um, And it was a beautiful process where we had actual community members that were talking with city staff, that were talking with city council members, because even though you guys are representing your districts, the real people that know what's happening in the communities and are the experts are the people that live in the community, right? And we want to make sure they could stay there for long for generations. We want to make sure that they're included, that their conversations aren't just acknowledged as a box that you check, And then you make the decision that you want to make. We need you to listen to the community. And that's what we're here with Sacramento Investment Displacements. We have these conversations already. We put it on a nice little package to try to help. And we want to make sure that you include them. And so that's why we're going to we're here today and we will continue to come back until you hear from the community because that's who we're representing. And I want to agree with what my people said. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for housing, for more development, for more business, but it has to include the community. Otherwise, there are going to be more empty buildings. There's going to be more people on their streets and it's just going to be more need. It's not going to build the community that we all want to collectively see. And I know you guys want to see that vision for Sacramento as well. Thank you.
1: Thank you for your comments. Abayomi Brownfield, then Kurt Fiera.
37: Hello, my name is Abayomi Brownfield. I am a project coordinator at Civic Thread, a nonprofit organization that co creates healthy built environments. Um, I urge my council representative in the city of Sacramento to support SIWD's recommendations for amending the proposed community uh, benefits agreements ordinance. Um, The draft community benefits Agreement ordinance does not sufficiently address the long-term anti-displacement protections for the residents and the businesses as intended. I am advocating for the CBAO to include the community in the CBA. Negoti- negotiation process, not just limited to uh, input and feedback role in the process, but having minim- having specific minimum benefits in critical areas of anti-displacement, housing, transportation, workforce development, and small and local uh, business protection identified okay. in the CBA ordinance. Equitable access to decision making is familiar to the City of Sacramento as seen in the participant, sorry, Participatory budgeting, um, but when not looking at the community benefits or um, benefits agreement ordinance um, without, without centering community voices, um, does not promote fairness, foster belonging, and does not have more excellent representation without a CBA, C- CBAO. Um, there has to be consistency, and we have to have policies, procedures, and practices that aim to center communities' diverse voices And developers must be held accountable for addressing how low income and communities of color um, can be displaced in new development projects. Um, And I also believe that it is important that we don't continue this legacy of giving communities pennies from significant developments that have moved into our um, communities. And having a CVO allows there to uh, having
1: a Thank you for your
37: comments your time is complete. Thank Our next speaker is
1: Kurt Fiera, then Barry Broom. So, Kurt, then Barry Broom, then Robert Copeland.
38: Thank you, Mr. Mayor, City Council members. My name is Kurt Ferreira. I've been a union carpenter for the last 20 years, and I've lived in the city of Sacramento for the last 41 years, 15 last in District 5, Hollywood Park. Since this is a good item of a workshop discussion. I would like to talk about a few things that are important to me and a lot of people who live in the city of Sacramento. For starters, prevailing wage is important to workers who are building our city by not paying the prevailing wage. We as workers are unable to live in this city. The purpose of prevailing wage is to ensure we get a livable wage and we can afford to own our own home and raise a family in this city. You should require a prevailing wage on more projects in this city. Moving on to my next point is healthcare. I don't believe anyone in this room can deny the importance of health care coverage. As a representative of the Carpenters Union, I have spoke to countless construction workers in Sacramento who said they don't go see a doctor because they don't have health insurance. The ones who do have health insurance say that they are a government subsistence, which in turn costs the taxpayers money. We, as the City of Sacramento, need to make sure that all workers have access to health care. Lastly, in June of 2002, I joined the Carpenters Union in the apprenticeship program. Joining the Carpenters Union has made me a better person and a skilled carpenter. The opportunity and training I received was life-changing it has brought me to where and who I am today. By making sure the city and the contractors are doing their part in utilizing apprenticeship on the project, you are investing in the future workforce or providing the necessary training. I am urging the city council to take what I said into consideration when making your decision on how to move forward. The people of the city of Sacramento want to make sure workers are not laid down and not forgotten, as we are responsible for building the city. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for your comments. Barry Broom. Following Mr. Broom is Robert Copeland, then James Allison.
39: Well, thank you. Um, in addition to uh, being president G GSEC, I'm a Midtown resident. I was Michigan Economic Developer of the Year under Engler, John Engler and Jennifer Grant, who made me Innovator of the Year. And I was a labor organizer in Cleveland, carpenters are investors. So thank you for that, as are you. And I don't think we have any question what the goals are. The goals are all the same. You know, how do we empower people, lift them up? You know, how do we get real wages into our neighborhoods? How do we stabilize them? How do we avoid gentrification? Um, but, you know, I'm not sure the CBA is the way to go. I, I was joking back there to be the first time in my life I've seen Detroit used as a best practice. So when look at these other communities, like Detroit put $400 million in cash in the stadium, not alone. So a lot of these communities are using strikingly high incentives. And it's right for the residents to expect a direct benefit back on that. But Aggie Square is not really a success story yet. There's not a single company at Aggie Square. And I can tell you the developer felt impacted in a negative way. By the lawsuit and I think AFSME had a bigger hand in that lawsuit than maybe the neighborhoods and I'd like us to be a little bit more transparent about those objectives. So we all have the same goals um, but you know the Oakland A's are a great example. They committed $1 billion in cash to the city of Oakland. They committed $12 billion in construction jobs for my brothers and sisters in the building trades. They committed I think 6,000 affordable housing units but the activists wanted a community benefit agreement. They wanted a direct cash benefit exchange. And now no one's getting anything in Oakland, right? And of course, the governor just sent the state police to Oakland to curb violence. So I don't think we want to model ourselves after Oakland, which is clearly failing, Detroit, which is never coming back. You know, we should come up with our own solution to these things, which, you know, we're very interested in. So we oppose this proposal because of its unintended consequences. We supported the Project Labor Agreement, Mayor, as you know, for Aggie Square. Greater Sacramento did. And we'll continue to support PLAs and investment in our neighborhoods. Thank you for your
1: comments. Your time is complete. But this is a dangerous
39: policy and and we are in opposition to it. Our
1: next speaker is Robert Copeland, then James Allison.
40: I'm sure the city council wants a better Sacramento. Listen to SIWD. We need a community benefits agreement that benefits the residents in each community. Are we going to have more homeless people, uh, worse bus system? We need a better bus system. We need to reduce greenhouse gases. We need tenant rights. That's just a few things. It would benefit the Sacramento in uh, so many ways. Are you with us with the tenants and the laborers that support it? Or are you with the developers that don't want it? Thank you.
1: James Allison, then Liz Laureland Williams, then Ralph Proper.
41: Good evening, Mayor, Council, and staff. My name is James Allison with the Midtown Association. Our mission is to make Midtown the Center for Culture, Creativity, and Vibrancy in Sacramento's urban core. I'm here today to express a few of our concerns with the Community Benefits Ordinance as proposed. Midtown Association is not oppositional to the concept of such an ordinance, but worry that if certain elements remain unaddressed, the city could cause unintended harm by increasing barriers to new investment. First, it is important to be extremely mindful that this policy consideration is not occurring within a vacuum. Last year, the City Council approved increases to the Department of Utilities Development Impact Fees. After long and considerate discussions, a compromise was reached that achieved DOU goals without risking project feasibility. Also last year, the City Council approved placing increases to the business operations tax on the March ballot. Again, following sensible dialogues, that matter is now in front of voters without major opposition. While we recognize the importance of each of these conversations, we must remember that they are occurring during a time of great economic uncertainty while compounding an overarching narrative that the City of Sacramento is not welcome of new investment. This leads us to two primary considerations that we request should this proposal move forward. We recommend mirroring the objectives of the central city specific plan by exempting the central city community plan area as due to the unique nature of the urban core it is not appropriate to apply the narrow framework outlined under this policy. The city and its council must have flexibility to ensure that economic development agreements made within the central city continue the positive momentum that we've achieved in recent years. In building upon that we strongly consider that the council continue to allow for individual development agreements between businesses and the city. In doing so, the Council retains its authority to enter into such agreements with flexibility necessary to achieve sought outcomes as based on an individual project's impact. In working to achieve a common goal of delivering sustainable economic growth, we implore the City Council to consider a thoughtful economic growth model without creating barriers that could create unintended limitations on future growth or the Council's ability to manage it. Thank you.
1: Comments? I have five more speakers, Liz Laurent williams Ralph Proper, and Robert um, height.
42: Good afternoon Vice Mayor, members of the City Council, City Manager, staff, Liz Loran Williams speaking on behalf of the Downtown Sacramento Partnership and the community we represent in the urban core of Sacramento. We would like to thank staff for the opportunity to inform public policy decisions that welcome transformative projects in our city. We stand in agreement that inclusive economic development is vital for ensuring our communities are nurtured in partnership with the fabric that makes them unique. But there is concerns with the blanketed CBAO that will increase regulatory hurdles which will deter the exact economic prosperity we wish to see come forward in order to provide jobs, housing, and opportunities for the communities we wish to lift up. As we look to the new era of opportunity for downtown Sacramento, it is through this lens we highlight the need for a central city carve out where residential density is very low and catalytic investments will be critical to bolstering our downtown renaissance with the severe impacts related to the lack of return to office. Investments in downtown provides the highest return compared to anywhere else in the city, bringing much needed revenue to a depleted general fund. Additionally, we urge the ordinance clarify that all projects with a city development agreement are exempted to reduce project complexity and provide predictability. We continue to stand ready as a partner to ensure Sacramento policies don't hinder our ability to be a destination of choice for the future. Uh, And we thank you for the opportunity to comment today.
1: Thank you for your comments. Ralph Proper, Robert Height, then Shelby Gaither Owensby.
43: Hello everyone, I'm I'm Ralph Proper. I'm uh, the, the son of a union carpenter, I might add. Uh, I'm on the board of uh, ECOS, the Environmental Council of Sacramento, which has 20 member organizations and many individuals, as well as Breathe, California, Sacramento. Uh, We're proud of ECOS to be administering SIWD, and we support their efforts to obtain a meaningful CBA ordinance. Uh, For over 50 years, ECOS has worked for less sprawl and more transit-oriented development, especially uh, infill, and uh, for the sake of worthy habitat and cutting down on air pollution from cars. But now... We need to do it even more because climate change is threatening our species. Fortunately, we are seeing more transoriented development in our city, especially the inner city. Just at a seminar at uh, the Air Resources Board showing how there's less vehicle miles traveled as a result of the city's policies in the downtown core. We, we, need, we need more of this. Uh, young people increasingly want to in- interact with their peers. That's, that's why we're getting more infill development, I think. Uh, This needs to be accelerated, but not in a way that displaces those who live there. The biggest problem in this country is our increasing income inequality. And uh, this was the cause of revolutions, you might remember, in France and Russia. Threatens our country now. An appropriate community benefits agreement ordinance is the best way to do our part to mitigate these threats. Please consider lowering the CBA threshold from $10 million and also for a meaningful role for the community. Thank you very much.
1: Robert Haidt, then Shelby, then Matthew Baker.
44: Good afternoon, Mayor and Council. My name is Robert Haidt. I am the President and CEO of the Sacramento Metro Chamber and thank you for your time today. You know, as you go through this process, it's never easy because you're trying to weigh the good and then the challenges that you face as decision makers on on issues like this. Uh, I'm here today to let you know, we represent a number of businesses that have great concerns. We ultimately oppose this very strongly uh, for the Sacramento Metro Chamber. We've learned from those other sister cities and brother cities, as you heard Barry mentioned, that probably are not the benchmarks for us to look at as the the example. Things like this, I can tell you of my time in leading chambers, harm us. It doesn't help us to attract those projects and those developers and those jobs and things to our community. This ordinance is no difference. There are some elements that we have some concern with. First, we're concerned about how the funds are counted. We would hope to preclude the use of fee credits, community financing district bonds, and other aggregating incentives when calculating the funding threshold. The threshold itself is also an issue. Every project is uniquely different. And in all my years of leading chambers of commerce and working hand in glove with organizations like GSEC, you need to have as much flexibility as possible in being creative and innovative in working those deals to bring projects. I think it's evident our downtown is in desperate need of development, redevelopment. Of an approach that's unique to our community but also open-minded to those opportunities that stand before us so with that I hope that we can avoid some of those harmful decisions that have unintended consequences and I thank you for your time this afternoon
1: thank you for your comments our next speaker is Shelby and then Matthew Baker is our final speaker on this item I don't see Shelby Matthew Baker
45: good afternoon council Members and, and the mayor. My name is Matthew Baker. I'm the policy director for Planning and Conservation the longtime staff and consultant to the Environmental Council of Sacramento, um, and a founding board member of Siwd. I was here in the beginning for the litigation and um, negotiation of of the approval agreement of the CBPA with with Eggy Square and and for the settlement agreement that followed. And at that time, I felt like we were really setting some valuable precedence for the city, um, you know, we uh, you know got some really significant community investments with Aggie Square that were sort hard fought and hard negotiated um, with UC, but it showed that you know we didn't scare UC Davis away, um, and I and I think that you know I would argue their their project is a stronger project for the community investments that they made, and I think they would probably agree with that today. Um, And so we settled, you know, the the SIWD settlement was forged to to make this commitment to work on this community benefits ordinance to give the city guidance moving forward to try to duplicate and approve upon that experience that we had with Aggie Square without having to resort to litigation to do it. And, you know, since then now three plus years, we've worked with staff hours and hours and hours with staff and you know, I have great respect for staff and I wanna be clear about that. I, you know, It's actually been a pleasure, not just Leslie and Ellen, but so many other staff at the city thinking about this. And I believe honestly that everyone has sincerely had the best intentions um, moving forward, but that makes me all the more sort of disappointed and frustrated with the proposal that's before you today, which I feel is skeletal and insufficient in you know, very fundamental ways. Um, and, and lacking some very necessary elements to make this thank actually you for your a-
1: comments your time is complete mayor I have no more speakers on this okay. item
0: thank you so much thank you to all the members of the public let us now we really appreciate it and again um, we're discussing this today so that we can provide further direction which means there's more opportunity for public participation let us turn it over to the members of the council I know I want to share my thoughts but i'll I'll turn it over to my colleagues uh, first here. Councilmember Valenzuela, then Councilmember Vang, and see who else pops up, and then maybe I'll speak.
46: Yeah, thank you, Mayor, and I want to echo the thanks to staff. I think you've managed an incredible process with SIWD getting to this point, and so I just want to thank you for your accessibility and your partnership with them, and to SIWD, many of whom are here not paid, probably. Um, some of you are. some A lot of you aren't. Um, and to the workers in the audience, I um, really want to thank you because I just want to, I mean, you staff referenced direction from l and I think it's important to recognize that direction was not always unanimous. Um, and as chair of LNL, I think my intention for this discussion is that we really talk about and hear from the rest of the council because it has been to Law and Ledge multiple times, and the full council has not had the opportunity to talk about what this could look like since the Aggie Square settlement, what came to us, which was before at least three folks were even on this dais, I believe. So I'm really hopeful that we can have a pretty broad-ranging discussion that isn't limited to what we see here today. But I will say that every time I saw it at Lawn Ledge and again today, it lost a piece (laughs) that felt meaningful to me. Today, it's the market rate housing. Um, You know, we lost just the bare minimum threshold of prevailing wage for market rate housing that would get subsidy. And for the record, that was a component of the Aggie Square Project that did not have a PLA attached to it. And at the time, some of us pushed for that um, and got pushback even though we were giving millions of dollars to this project to even establish a baseline of wages for the housing that was included in that project it was felt like an incredibly missed opportunity and i have to note as well that because i've heard murmurs that if it's over a million dollars will fall under the cwta it won't um it won't it's it's that only applies to public works projects. And so I have to note the disparity between a council that unanimously approved a CW2A, which I was happy to support, that said anything over a million dollars should come with certain worker benefits, and is now today looking at an ordinance that's frankly startlingly different for private projects. And to, again, center us on the fact that this is just about projects over $10 million in subsidy, $10 million. You saw that list of projects on Ellen's slide. It has not come forward to us Often, I don't think it's going to come forward to us in the future that often again, especially as we enter a budget shortfall season. So we're talking about significant public money going into a project and what the public should be able to expect from that investment. I've had staff talk to me about the fact that they're trying to balance an ordinance with the fact that there are elected council representatives for each district who have the ability to negotiate for that. I have to say that we had an elected council in this city when we had redlining. We had an elected council in this city when we had racial covenants on housing. And I'm not saying that anybody on this dais would do that, but what I am saying is that simply we leaning on elected officials to always do the right and just thing is not enough, especially when it takes five votes to get anything done. That one council member from that one district could be the ardent champion for the things that they need, but they are still just one vote. And if it comes to council for a decision, there should be some sort of floor that that can't fall beyond so that we can ensure that we don't replicate the history of the past. Because the areas of this community that are ripe for investment are the exact same communities that have been left behind. And so we have to be mindful of what those communities are asking us for. And I want to commend SIWD for doing a really good job of outlining some what I think were some very basic benchmarks. Now to the business community that's concerned, when this process first started, you might recall that I tried to make the case for certainty. For businesses, I said, you know, having a really vague ordinance that has this laundry list of things and the spectrum of scenarios that may or may not play out does nothing to increase certainty for business. It does nothing. I think there should be some assurance that if you come to us asking us for millions of dollars in subsidy, that you have some idea going into that ask of what we're going to be asking you for in return. I think that's good for business. We can disagree on what that threshold is, but I think having this vague it could be everything under the sun it could be nothing under the sun language does absolutely nothing to give business any sort of certainty that we won't end up in another Aggie Square scenario and there won't be litigation against the city so I do think that this level of I think skeletal um, is the word that was used um, doesn't do us a service and that we should be looking towards the recommendations that have been made so I also want to comment on the fact that my final comment folks always love to say let's find another way Um, let's find another way we agree we don't want displacement we don't want businesses to be lost we want to invest equitably but let's find another way to do it and I've yet to have anybody come to me with another way and what's ironic is some of those same groups are also the ones that have concerns with inclusionary some of those same groups have concerns with tenant protections they have concerns with a whole host of measures we talk about increasing fees to keep up with the cost of building affordable units they say no to that too and so If this is really our goal and our value as a city, which I hope it is, I really do, I hope that we can actually, if we really want to come to the table and talk about what it looks like differently, let's talk about it. Because it's been months since we started talking about the CBA ordinance. We knew this was coming. And I think if we could have brought forward an ordinance that reflects some consensus from the business community, like this is what we agree will align. But I don't see any recipe in this that's going to lead to that outcome. And I certainly don't, and I want to applaud them for pointing out, this does not align with the general plan that we were considering tonight. I can't find a way. Um, If it's this vague, so I guess for me... This is. I just want to name my general concerns with where we found ourselves because sometimes you say, like, well, if nobody likes it, then maybe we've made a good compromise and we should move forward. I don't think that's the case today. Um, I think that nobody likes it because we are still really far off from where we need to be um, as a community if we're going to talk about what is the outcome we want to achieve. If the outcome we want to achieve is to reduce gentrification, to ensure everybody in that community benefits and to attract investment, then we might need to have a fundamentally different conversation because this ordinance is simply not um, not where it needs to be. So, thank you.
0: Thank you. Council Member Vang.
46: <clears throat> Thanks, Mayor. I'm not on law
47: and ledge, so I will chime in. Um, first, I uh, first just want to take this moment. I know we're not voting on this tonight and we're providing direction. Um, I would also love to hear from my colleagues before I provide some direction, but really just have some comments and actually some questions uh, just for clarity. So... Leslie, to you and your team, thank you so much for your hard work. Um, I know uh, it's been a while until we get to this moment and I just wanna say thank you for working with our SWID partners, residents, and the community uh, to get to this moment even though um, there is a sincere disagreement. So I just wanted to say thank you. And then just a shout out to all of the community members, part of SWID. I know y'all have been working really hard with our city staff to reach an agreement. Um, You know, The push and pull, going back and forth, very important. That's how we get to a better product. Um, but I know that right now we, we don't have an alignment. Which is okay, I'm hoping we're gonna get there, right? Uh, This is not a vote tonight, but it's a public conversation um, about how we can get there. Um, For me, I I strongly support a CBA. Now in what form, hopefully we can come together and figure that out. But for me, a CBA is really important um, and really necessary to have safeguards to protect our community. And so I just wanted to put put it out there, right? And I think one of our speakers from SWID said it best that really the goal of CBA is really not to stop development, but really to shape and protect our community and support our community through this process. Um, I did have a a few questions actually to to staff and to um, SWID uh, because there was like three threshold that I saw on the slides right. We had um, uh, 10 million from the city, 3 million from SWID and then I saw a number of 50 million from large businesses. So I just want to have a better understanding like how did y'all determine the number? Like was there a math involved with that? Like how did we how did we all I would love to hear from all parties of how we determine the number. Thanks.
30: Um, <clears throat> hi Tamika. again from SIWD. Um, so again we, we did a whole matrix. We looked at lots of different cities, three million and we looked at the projects that City of Sacramento does provide these subsidies for. We you all don't do a whole lot of ten million dollar you know subsidized projects but you do three million dollars right and those are still significant um, those are still significant developments. Those are bigger than a Safeway, you know. So we're looking at, you know, what makes sense for Sacramento. What other cities have done, and where, you know, where you guys are with your with subsidizing developments to get sort of a formula to come up to that three million.
28: So, so yeah, I would say that, yeah, what my colleague just said, we looked at all the different projects that the city of Sacramento has done. And if we kept it at 10 million, we would never actually implement the ordinance. So, that was part of what we were um, looking into.
47: Was that like the majority of our city projects? I'm just curious because you all did it.
28: I think you probably could, probably, Leslie can answer the number of projects, but it wasn't very many. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that.
26: So, um, Council Member, the direction that we got from the settlement agreement and conversation was that um, this should apply to significant economic development projects. So we did look at that and set the mark as 10 million and above were significant catalytic uh, economic development projects. So that's how we centered on the number 10 million. I think we also, um, you know, I think before was mentioned some other case studies and other examples from other cities. A lot of those projects and a lot of those other examples for CBAs from other significant cities, that mark is much higher than even the $10 million threshold. So um, we kind of analyzed all of that and that's how we arrived at the 10 million. As far as the business community, 50 million. that was on SIWD slide, I'm not quite sure where they got that number Um, I haven't heard that expressed specifically but maybe they can speak to that
47: great Leslie just really quickly so for the 10 for the 10 million that the city staff came up with uh, that number was determined because I just wanted to repeat what you said that I understand it is that that is considered based on your analysis city staff
26: analysis of the type of economic impact that so
47: um, like I'm trying to understand the difference you
26: know, between three yeah, million so and two million. Yeah. So uh, it was sig- significant economic development projects within our city um, should require a CBA. That's or should um, that's the threshold that uh, and language that was included in the settlement agreement that it was significant economic development projects. So we looked at kind of the kinds of projects that the city normally funds and those that are over ten million really are significant projects like the Golden One Center, um, Aggie Square, another example. So they are are different ones under the 10 million might be more um, um, community-oriented projects uh, and that type of measure. So uh, it was that analysis that we did to arrive at that number.
47: Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Leslie. I I appreciate that. Um, And I think for me, it's just like understanding what is considered significant, like just so that I could... And I'm so, um, yeah, but thank you so much, Leslie. I appreciate that. Go ahead.
30: And the $50 million, like I said, we met with um, business, we, we met with the BIA, we met with GSEC, and they're like, and we, we met with Downtown Partnership. Um, those were the numbers that we were given by them. Right. They don't,
0: yeah, they don't like the concept.
45: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Regardless of the threshold, the right. business community doesn't like the concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to save my comments because I'm going to save them. Thanks, Mayor not about some of these details it 's about a basic approach and, and, and very different philosophies here and that 's what I think we need to try to try to bridge if we can The number three five seven two and a half <laughs> it 's not what this is about and i 'm not i'm not criticizing in any way you Council Member everything it's just i 'm reacting to a little bit of The fact that people really don't talk to each other. They really don't. I mean, in this town, whether it's the mixed income housing ordinance, whether it's this, everybody's got their position. Nice eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. It's very philosophical, by the way, and very stakeholder driven. Yes, we all have the same goals, but we, 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 we don't even know together what it is we're talking about here. When I ask the question, and I'm going to ask a hard one of the business community in a a minute, but when I ask the SIWD, are there specific minimums, and there isn't a real answer to that question, I'm not sure what it is. Excuse me. I don't know what it is we are. Let's decide what we're actually arguing about here. Let's decide what we're arguing about and see if we can come up with some common language about what it is that we might do together as opposed to just position, which is what we do in this town way, way too often. Sorry, Mai.
47: It's I, okay, Mayor, no worries. Yeah.
0: Go ahead, finish I, up.
47: I hear you all now. I'm going to yeah. end on that note after I finish my questions too. So hopefully we can get folks together. Um, I did have some concerns over just the community input because I feel like it was a little bit vague. So um, actually, I think on the city end, when I looked at the draft ordinance, um, it said, like, what would the community at the table look like? Like, I'm just trying to envision what that looked like if we had a project. And then on the city end, it said the city manager would seek that community input. So it was, like just really broad. So I'm assuming staff will be hustling to put a community meeting together. Um, and then I'm just curious on the SWID end, what what would that look like? An advisory committee? like. What does that look like? I think that's important too, because I feel like we can go back again and, and figure out compromise for that, right? Because the city end is like having the city manager do the community input, but I'm also interested um, in what SWID, well, like, what, what does that look like? Um, you don't have to answer right now, but I think when we go back to the drawing table, I think that's really, um, that's really important. Um, and then I also wanted to, just to get some clarity on the threshold, whether that's three million or ten million or 50, whatever the threshold is. I wanted to know, and I think I've actually asked this during a briefing when I was with um, Council M- Mayor Pro Tem But what is considered part of the threshold? I think that's also important for us to know. Does that include like just our bonds, SHRA funding? I think is that just any city public funding? Just curious to know, like what is. What is included in that threshold? I think getting some clarity on that would be really important. Um, I would, I would like some clarity on that. I think, I think both parties on both end wants some clarity on that. So if we can get clarity on that for the next updated um, CBA would be really great. And then um, my last point, but I'm sure Mayor is gonna have his opinion and try to um, sum it all up, uh, is that. Um, I know that y'all have been working at, at this for a while and there is a difference in philosophical stance on just CBA. Um, so that's why it's written so broad. I think for me at the end of the day the intentionality is still so important because there's no point of a community benefits agreement. Um, because. There's no point of a community benefits agreement if there's no community benefits laid out. And so for me, um, that's why I feel like we're gonna have to go back to the drawing board and, and work together as a team. Um, I, I think the mayor did, I appreciate the mayor asking the, the question around uh, specific on both ends because I think that's really important. Like, what are we, what are we, ex- expecting what do we what do we want right on both from business end and from the community end right so I think I think that's going to be really important um, and if SWID have have those numbers that's great right um, but I think let's go back and work as, a, as city staff and the community to, to get those numbers uh, a little bit more tighter so I think that's it uh, I'm, I'm a strong supporter of CBA want to make sure that you know um, that any investment we have don't have any dis- displacement and, and with that mayor I will hand it over to you actually no Councilmember Jennings Jennings next. We're gonna, we're gonna hand it okay, over thank to you. Uh,
0: Mr., Mr.
10: Jennings, Mr. Guetta, Ms. Kaplan and Vice Mayor Maple. Thank, thank you mayor I I, um, I will be brief because uh, I think my colleague just asked a lot of my questions. Um, she did a great job of doing that I'm I'm a little confused um, trying to get clarity about where we are and where we need to be. But the one thing I'm, I'm pretty sure on is that we're in the wrong venue in order to get the results that we want. We want. This meeting um, was not supposed to last as long as it has, based on the rest of our day. And I think this meeting format is not the format that we need to do in order to be able to get to the answers and solutions and work together to come up with that. And that, to me, is the workshop with a facilitator is necessary in order to get to that point. And so I just want to kind of put that out there as an idea because I don't see clear communication between the two parties and the communication that is happening, we're not on the same page. And so I, I, in preparation for whatever format we come back, um, my understanding is that the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement includes council consideration of the third-party beneficiary. And I'd like staff to come back with options for the council to consider for this aspect of the CBO slash CBA. I have concerns related to this issue on how it might affect the investment in our city. Uh, Looking at the number of alternatives, I believe it's necessary to minimize the potential impact. So uh, that's a part that I'd like to have come back to us um, in preparation for whatever format we come back to have this conversation with. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, sir. Let's get through. Let's uh, can have a chance to.
0: Councilman Getta, Councilmember Kaplan. After that, <clears throat> uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor.
48: Um, I, uh, I think the the points of specificity uh, are important because part of the concerns that I've heard both from the community, um, and also from the from the some of the business groups has been the lack of. Uh, of uh, certainty in the growth and liability, one or the, one or the other, whether, whether a benefit is derived or the cost or where, where their planning is. So that, that's an important part, and I'll, I'll bring that point because um, also to play a little, remind a little history here. Uh, I, mean, I appreciate the presentation from SWWD, uh, but to be quite honest, a lot of the big issues and the benefits that we saw early on on the Project Labor Agreement had nothing to do with the CBA, had to do with the early intervention with um, I'll give, uh, you know, the mayor's office, Councilmember Chenier, um, and my team, and actually folks from the Carpenters Union who brought their own estimators to meet with the developer and the UC system to really question the numbers and to say does a PLA work and does, a does uh, can they actually do this? So I, I do want to thank, you know, the folks that are here because they they actually brought the numbers out and and uh, and put that together. And that actually got negotiated pretty well off before even uh, the CBPA uh, uh, was approved where we got going. Um, you know, I also uh, appreciate, you know, a lot of this because it came about from people in, you know, union workers in my own council district who said, like, we're driving well over an hour, two hours for jobs. And we're not getting home to our, our families yet. Some of the developers and some of the contractors were bringing people from Reno or out of state for jobs here, so that didn't make sense. And those conversations, you know, are would led early to that point. The other piece too is that it was—I uh, will credit—you know, again, Askme and the and the the leadership of also the mayor at this point at that point. I think uh, you know, Mr. Broom brought that up that the internal union issue got resolved at that point, so that you know you had local workers here. Uh, got we uh, were able to be able to uh, address that point and also the specificity on how those dollars on the housing side would be spent so that folks who were working in the in the area were also going to benefit from those so not only when we come to fill those jobs um, but what did the CBA do and provide when we didn't approve it at the council uh, one it created a dispute resolution process and an ongoing engagement process. And I think that is a strong point that we need to continue to use because it helped us continue to engage with the public. It's helped us also um, meet those local hire goals. The local hire goals were set up because of the CBPA on that side. And we've surpassed the apprenticeship numbers. Uh, And every time I've gone to the job site and I've gotten a chance to meet with folks who were working at Starbucks or some other minimum wage job and then now have gone through the apprenticeship and they're working locally those are important but they've they've happened because of the 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 pieces on the workforce side so the specificity on the connection on the workforce side are important Um, so and I so to that that point and those folks that came in and are working on that job site from not only the carpenters from sheet metal workers, I talked to an an insulator most recently who's working on that side and didn't have to go, you know, all the way to Yuba City for a job anymore. Uh, You know, all those pieces are are critical, but they're getting health care and they're getting retirement and they're spending their money and their time back in our city. So those, I think, are important pieces of of that outcome. But it came through specificity. Um, And it came through actually working through the numbers on that. Um, A couple of the concerns that uh, that I do have, uh, knowing also in areas like in Stockton Boulevard, the city has different demands and different interests. I mean, the, what works in the central city uh, may not work in um, uh, in the southeast area, and the cost of of something of, of a project in one of the two are are not the are, are not equivalent. And so sometimes uh, in this. I wonder if it should be broken out in zones or looked at in that format. And that was a a conversation that was brought about, like, okay, maybe it works better in different zoning areas. Uh, And to that point, there are certain projects, and I'll bring in just uh, the rail yards, for example, that's been a site for, I don't know how many decades, how many people have tried to develop that site. I worry about that one in where, you know, I know there was an interest or someone to carve out the entire central city from the CBA, um, if there is a carve-out, that may be too big, but there might be locations such as the rail yards where we're still trying to figure out, you know, the, uh, how that all project's going to work out. That might be a geographic uh, exemption. So I, uh, on those parts, I can consider those pieces, but to think to carve out an entire of the central city, that, that, may, that might be too big of an exemption to, to carve out. Um, uh, so just some comments on the, the things that I've heard today on this issue. Uh, but definitely, uh, I would say the specificity in whatever gets approved is helpful for, one, when a trigger occurs, and then, two, to make sure that the benefits occur. Uh, and I'll, and I'll, I'll end with there, Mr. Mayor, because I know you've got a lot of thoughts on our approach on how to actually get to the specificity. So
0: You may presume facts not in evidence, but... <laughs> 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 all right but thank you council member kaplan uh
21: thank you mayor um i think this is a really good conversation of course this all started before i was on council and I've had the pleasure and privilege of working with city staff while serving last year on Law and Ledge to get up to speed really quickly. But I think Council Member Jennings brings up a really good idea. I think this is a larger conversation where each of us needs to not worry like we're missing closed session. 5 p.m. is starting. This is not something that I think we could fully push ahead without giving us time for not where each one of us has our statement, but I think we need dialogue back and forth um, and that a workshop format to truly get to where how the council uh, as a whole feels um is something that i'm fully supportive of well i think um and i and i want to acknowledge a lot of work by staff has gone into this they have met with people even before aggie square and even before the settlement um and i also think you're right uh mayor um, what is the purpose? Where are we trying to go? What problem are we trying to solve? And I think that goes back to what Councilmember Jennings says it may require a different format of us. Discussing this because that is a premise question. What are we trying to solve where we know? uh, Aggie square in the lawsuit was about a significant economic You know driver and benefit that we're trying to answer here But do we need to take a step back and look at as the city as a whole where are we trying to go? Because on the scale, I hear where everybody is on our unions on I am very supportive of PLA's but is a CBA? taking over a PLA, what is that purpose and why are certain things getting confused um, where we do have a workforce training agreement? You know certain big projects have that what projects trigger and I will agree, council member Guerra, um things cost differently throughout the city and how do we look at things? But I mean I'm very firm on housing not being a part of this. when we have our eight-year plan, we need to streamline, not add barriers um, for housing. So for me, I, I think we all have a lot of opinions. Uh, I feel like uh, Law & Legends staff did amazing job with SIWD because we had more time to talk about it and it came back a couple of times. This is just, I don't think there's just one format we can do it because this is probably a good two hour conversation, three hour conversation in and of itself. Um, that if we are going to make such a significant policy discussion, that would require council. So I would say, you know, we need to follow back up uh, in that right of venue because my statement's are already at lawn ledge. Um, I think SIWD did a good job when they presented as well as staff pulling up those presentations. Um, and how do we then pull the rest of the council and have have that conversation? So I'm going to save you know, my specifics uh, for that larger conversation that I think we need to have of what are we trying to solve with this policy and is it solving it with the language that is there? So, but I do want to thank staff because I think staff did a really good job and, they, and they're not getting the credit due um, because they put hundreds of hours in They
0: this. did, they did a great job, they did. Vice Mayor Maple?
23: Thank you, Mayor. Um, I will try to be as concise as possible, recognizing that we are, uh, should have been in closed session already and uh, butting against our 5 p.m. meeting. Um,
0: Can I say, I'm sorry, before you talk, I really apologize, but there's several people here for the hearing on the sexual assault kits, and I think we're gonna have to continue the item. And I I know police chief's back there too, and I'm sorry. Um, We have a full evening agenda, and as you just said, a closed session, so you just reminded me. I want to continue that to a near-term meeting, though I do not want that to to, to go too long. It's <clears> an <throat> important item that was heard by budget and audit, and we need to hear this item. Okay, so I apologize, but
23: no problem. Uh, an important update um, yeah. to let people know as soon as possible, so okay. you can plan. Um, so I just want to say, you know, as uh, one of one of two council members that um, whose district was um, impacted and by the Aggie Square Project. I want to just really thank everyone that was involved. Um, it, I think it was historic what happened. Um, you know, I, at the time I was on the, the board of the Oak Park Neighborhood Association and seeing that the community came together, rallied together, created a plan together, talked to one another, um, and then, you know, tried tried to hold power to account and did a great job um, and were able to get, get something that had real tangible benefits. Um, some of those benefits include right now people who are graduating programs that were funded by that, um, who are buying homes for the first time. People who are staying in their neighborhoods in their homes who were not able to um, pay their rent um, in a real, like some of those programs are happening right now. Um, you know. It, just so many tangible benefits for real people, um, hundreds of people, and that's just in a short period of time since that funding has become a reality, and that's just one of the many different components of that, of that community benefits agreement, We're not, not to mention the housing component, not to mention you know everything. So um, I think all we need to do is look at that one example to see that this is, this is something that's important, um, that can have real tangible um, impacts on the community in a really positive way, and it's very important that the community is a part of that conversation and is able to drive that forward. Um, and so I, too, uh, feel rushed right now, and I really would like to have a more um, nuanced discussion about this and in a workshop setting. I think that's a really good idea, um, because if we can work through the exact where are the gaps and gulfs and if there are places where we can come together, if there's not, then we all at least have a little bit more information to make the policy decisions that we need to make. Um, that would make me feel really comfortable, and I, I recognize this is in a vote tonight, so I appreciate the opportunity to hear about it, um, but I would—I really appreciate the concept of using a facilitator too, having a, a neutral third party that's able to bring everyone together and hopefully help us find consensus where, where there might be. Um, and so, I would uh, like to support that recommendation from Councilmember Jennings and Very good. thank you again for everyone who's here.
0: Councilmember Mayor Pro Tem Catalamantis,
2: thanks, Mayor. All right, I counted how many sentences I have. I think I have 15. So, it'll be quick. Um, agree with Councilmember Jennings on a workshop format to go over this because I also feel rushed. I agree with Councilmember Vang on specific goals and what it sounds like to me there was specific goals, but they just didn't make it onto the staff presentation for today. Also agree with Councilmember Vang on really figuring out like that dollar amount threshold if it's 1 million, 5 million, 50 million, what counts towards that dollar amount being calculated? Is it rezoned? Is it direct city dollars? What contributes towards that dollar amount needs to be really clear for us as the council. Um, if there is a big project in the city where lots of ta- taxpayer dollars are being forged into the community, um, I do believe that there needs to be a benefit for the community. And that benefit should be clearly written for all the parties involved here in Sacramento, um, and it shouldn't be a big fight uh, to get benefits for the community. You know We as a council also need to clearly define that. If there's an investment happening, residents need to see the outcomes of that investment. Um, with that being said, I do believe that uh, community outreach needs to be done for every single project uh, one size doesn't fit all for projects just because different communities have different priorities and i do sit on the rail yards so i have some concerns about eifds uh being combined with cbas um so just want staff to look into that just because of the legalities i mean we're making our own requirements for the eifd so i have some concerns about that that's
0: it thank you okay um I know we're running late, but I, I think it's important that we set the frame for the workshop, if you will, if that's what we're going to be doing. And I actually want to start it by calling up Mr. Broom for one moment. Now, this is a guy – hold on. I'm going to, This guy loves Sacramento, and I'm going to give you a couple of minutes here because I want to ask a question. Sure. This is born out of, in part, the belief which I share that if you leave it all to the private sector – if that's all you do, that there aren't on the natural going to be community benefits. And I know that the business community um, is concerned about overregulation. Fair enough. But if we don't do a community benefits agreement of some kind, how is it that we can be assured and the communities can be assured that there actually will be enough affordable housing? That there actually will be local hiring requirements. That there will be um, conscious efforts to avoid gentrification. You describe yourself as, and you're right, of this incredibly diverse background, labor organizer, setting out business leader in the city. So what is the philosophical answer to that question? Because it, 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 it goes into my frustration here. Mr. Hyde is here, the new head of the Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to town. That... Part of our problem in this city, and I'm speaking as a future former mayor here, is that you people all just talk right past each other all the time. And I don't care what anybody says. There isn't real dialogue. There is just is not. And we position, and now it's election time, and all the mailers are going out, and yeah, blah, 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 blah. Okay. It's frustrating to me. If this community is going to grow up in the way that it should, then leaders need to be talking to one another. Everybody. And the, the business community is not the enemy. And the people who are fighting for community benefits are making a pretty important point, too. That if, if we just leave it all to the private sector, that, you know, a lot of people are going to get left behind. That is some of the history of capitalism, you know. So, Barry, you're about, you're our friend. From the private sector perspective, if we don't do something like this, how do we assure community benefits?
39: Well, I think you know. I think every project should be held accountable to community standards. You know, I would never, and I don't think I've ever brought a project to the city or any community that didn't pay living wages. You know, um, so I mean, I think there's some inherent things. You know, local hires. Um, you know, I used minority set-asides early on in my career. But you got to actually have a – take the CHIPS Act. You know, we had all this laissez-faire economics. We had all this offshoring due to it. I was in Ohio Michigan with the fall of those communities' economies. I mean, Youngstown's not just a name to me. Or Flint, you know, they're communities like, that, yeah. like Roseville yeah. to me now, you know. and But, you know, the CHIPS Act is a great example where there is an offset to that now. And, you know, so my frustration is, you know, Councilmember Member Valenzuela, you know, leaning over you a million times, asking to restructure the Sacramento Employment Training Agency. I mean, I met with Pat Kennedy and the new uh, CIO, and I, I mentioned Saturday, and I'd have been disappointed if you wouldn't. You know, we're spending $42,000 per skill on that. We're putting people in $35,000 a year jobs. So, I mean, we've got to be more strategic with our assets. I think what I'm calling for is, you know, what are we doing to build skills for people in these neighborhoods? Because the only thing that I met with Chad Hewitt on this, the only thing that takes people out of poverty is empowerment. A skills and a living wage. It's the only thing that does it. And you know, a local
0: hiring requirement yeah, doesn't. Yeah, I
39: don't have a problem out. with local hiring requirement. I really don't have much problem at all with the Aggie Square deal. You had a problem with the lawsuit. But I didn't have any, you know, intimate concerns.
0: What's wrong with replicating the Aggie Square well, agreement, I think, I th- city One? Yeah,
39: I think, I think first off, I think community benefits agreement are going to get tied to things like, you know, the Oakland A's exit. And I think some of this is just, you know, we call them development agreements. So if the city's going to co-invest with a project, I think it would be very appropriate for Michael Jasso to enter into a development agreement, requiring that development to meet certain social and economic conditions for the community. I would bet... Mr. Jassel has done that his whole career. And so let the department run a normal development process to do that. Maybe council and the community okay. has input into it. We don't want to price ourselves
0: out, right? We're in a You're little bit of trouble. Are worried about the unintended consequences? Now we're in trouble. I mean, okay. M- Macy's
39: just closed in San Francisco. We know that they're closing here. We got an empty downtown. We got a structural deficit. And, and the other conversation that's not being talked about, folks, is we have very low labor participation here. Okay. And labor t- participation levels are well below the national average here, and yet employers are saying they can't find workers. That's a skills gap issue. So I'd like to see us in a more intense strategic plan. And I've also called for fair housing laws, fair housing enforcement, and lawsuits to stop gouging. So we're not on one side of the aisle economic development group. We're a community-based organization funded by CEOs, but we work for our community. So I would be happy to sit down with goal setting, but we need to train people and we need to give people chances and empowerment and we need to use universal basic income. We've called for that universal basic income for homeless people, universal basic income for training people. You would
0: participate in a facilitated workshop? Sure. Of course I would. Okay. You know. Thanks, Thanks man. I'm going to move on. Thank you. So let me now frame this a little bit for the workshop, because when I say people are talking past each other, I think back to this, this debate we had about participatory budgeting. In this community, participatory budgeting meant, excuse me, I'm sorry, participatory budgeting meant different things to different people. To some people, it meant setting up a robust community wide process where more people were able to give genuine input into how the city puts together its budget. To others, it meant setting aside $5 million to have the community vote on what their priorities should be and have that be binding without further city council review and there was that disconnect throughout that entire process well i think we have the same thing here too because i want to tell the community in siwd i am so proud of the aggie square community benefits agreement and you obviously take great pride in it and you should because you organized the community and yes it involved a lawsuit but details, details, a means to an end. We ended up sitting down. I think you don't give enough credit a little bit to Mr. Getta and Chenier and myself for sort of stepping up and being willing to have that discussion, even absent a lawsuit. But I'll grant you the pressure, all the pressures led to us doing something that was really a model for the rest of the city, the state, and the nation. But here's the thing about it. It was an organic discussion and an organic agreement. It was not based upon a set of minimum standards. What if we had, for example, a citywide CBA that said the minimum amount of housing that you have to do for a project of a billion dollars or more is $30 million. And I'm making it up. We ended up doing 50 million. So in some ways, being too prescriptive in terms of a citywide ordinance could actually lead to a different kind of unintended result. If what you're asking for and this is where the common language matters if is what you're asking for is a law that says anytime there is a big project with significant public subsidy I don't really care what the threshold is that there is an obligation to sit down with a representative group of community leaders along with the city council member and to actually talk in good faith About all of the elements I am all for that. I I Think that is that is terrific if however Every project has to meet some specific minimum threshold on all these subject matters. I'm not in favor of it because it doesn't do what you want it to do and it does potentially have the unintended consequences that the business community is concerned about. I mean, I think about our our 5-year effort to win MLS and we're long long story still going to be part of the community's future, but when it comes to some opportunities, I as an elected official as the mayor of this city, the council members, there needs to be some flexibility in terms of how we sit down and negotiate these things. And if we're not and I and I believe, by the way, in representative government, and that's why the elections are so important. But if you can't do what you did at Aggie Square, which you did so successfully, which is to right use your organizing power to pressure all of us, we were with you any, from the beginning, anyways. But to pressure us, Tammy, but to pressure us, but to pressure us to sit down and negotiate. The right agreement then no ordinance is going to work anyways. And so if this is sort of like a tantamount to meet and confer, where there's a there's a process by which we all sit down, the business community shouldn't object to that. All the legal hooks on it, you have a you have sequo anyways. You've got state law. You've got all kinds of other ways to, to get out a project that you don't like. But we don't have to fight about this. Let's create coalitions and people talking together, even in a formal way, even in a formal way when there's a big project, so that we can discuss the community benefits. I think what the staff did is actually good, because what it does is what I just described. It creates a forum for that kind of discussion. There's a mandatory duty to stand and talk. And if you don't like what you're hearing or you're getting stonewalled, then sue us pursue the developer. That's what happens anyways. We don't need to be prescriptive here, and we shouldn't be, because I think it would lessen our flexibility and have unintended consequences. Let's have a workshop, and maybe we can use that to figure out how we strengthen something tantamount to a meet-and-confer process or something like that, where we talk in good faith about all this and the impacts on our community. Okay, thank you all. That's it. What's that? Do we, we have public comments on items not on the agenda? Yes.
1: Yes, Mayor. I have five speakers.
0: You just, you have to sign up here. Okay. I have
1: five speakers, and we've already ex- um, accepted those. Ryan Masano, Guy Stevenson, Mac Worthy, Barbara Ram, and Robert Copeland. Go, go. 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 Mr. Masano,
0: please proceed. Excuse me. One second, Mr. Masano. For the members, the closed session is going to be postponed. The city attorney, we can postpone it and handle it in in another way. So we'll finish up in the next few minutes. I think we'll start the evening session at about 5.15. Okay?
1: Mr. Masano.
24: For though we love both the truth and our friends, piety requires us to honor the truth first. That was said by Aristotle. It's not pleasant for anyone coming up here and displeasing so many elected leaders. Sacramento is not unique. The horrific treatment of the First Amendment here is typical of what one can expect in most American Democrat-controlled big cities, though both parties are controlled by Talmudic Jews. It's common in small cities, too, and is what you'd expect when apathetic men, 90% of whom are enslaved or distracted by the Jew vision, psychotropic drugs, or pornography, aren't standing up for the truth and exercising their First Amendment rights. No American citizen or city should be spending lots of time on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all dominated by algorithms, and they control the information we are exposed to. Only a fool thinks this is a good idea. No city, state, or federal government or elected officials should be on these platforms either, as it's a subtle way of subverting free speech. Governments and elected officials can say they don't censor as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram do it for them. This is the most dangerous attack on free speech in American history. Let's talk about the 1965 Hart-Seller Act, opening America to non-white immigration, promoted by Jewish New York Senator Emanuel Seller, who also pushed gun control, Interesting how immigration and gun control are spearheaded by majority Jews. In 1960, America was 90% white, and now we are 63% and falling fast. Whites are the world's minority, making up 10% of the world's population. When whites go to Africa, China, or Latin America, they don't get called minorities or get special privileges. So why do non-whites get this here? Shame on all of you for supporting criminality and illegal immigration. It takes legal immigrants four generations to assimilate, who knows how long it takes for illegal immigrants it is psychological terrorism to try to call a country's population racist for objecting to other cultures invading their country
1: thank you for your comments the next speaker is guy stevenson mack and i do want to remind members of the audience please do not disrupt the orderly conduct of the meeting by continuing to speak from the audience you're in violation of chapter 5 of the city council rules of procedure if you continue you'll be directed to leave the meeting Is Guy Stevenson here? I don't see Mr. Stevenson. Mackworthy? Mackworthy? Mackworthy is our next speaker. Oh, there's Mr. Stevenson. Thank you.
4: Just the person I wanted to see. Um, First and foremost, uh, Mayor.
1: I'm going to pause your timer.
4: See, this is a nonsense
0: that. uh, I'm sorry. We're doing our best. I
1: would like to remind members of the audience, please do not not disrupt the the orderly conduct of these proceedings by continuing to speak from the audience. You're in violation of Chapter 5 of the City Council Rules of Procedure. If you continue, you'll be directed to leave the meeting. I am not
4: here to attack anybody personally. I'm not about that. I spent a long time in the military, and I'm about the business when it comes to respect. I will respect all of you. I don't agree with all of you, but I will give you that respect as long as you don't laugh at me, like you and Chaplin did last week. I mean, that's not cool. In the military, I'd do so much paperwork on you; it wouldn't be funny. Just tell us what your your. My point is, you sit there and you read these bylaws of the city council. But when somebody comes up here and you don't agree with it or you certain people don't agree with it, then you want to shut it down. You want to go to the back. One guy I respect up here totally is Mr. Jennings. I like what he's done to his district. He's a good man. He's been around for a long time and he knows politics. He also knows respect. He's not arrogant and he'll listen to you. He doesn't turn his seat around and look at the wall and, and you know, it, that's total disrespect. When you laugh at somebody and when you turn your seat around, oh, my God, you don't even know what I'd do to somebody in the military for that. Because it's total, total disrespect. And, yeah, I'm talking to you, too, because you do it just as much. What do you want, man? What's what, what your. All, all I'm talking about is go by the. See, either you go laughing again. Why don't you go by the bylaws, okay. uh, the Brown Act, and the First Amendment and quit laughing at people? There ain't nobody else up here laughing except for her and Kaplan. Get over it, man. Get over yourself. You're arrogant.
1: Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Mac Worthy, then Barbara Ram, Robert Kaplan, and then Keon Bliss.
0: Okay. Get out of here. <laughs>
20: People, it's sad to see what I heard here today. What I heard here today about housing. Black folks, get your finger out of your rectum and think business. Ain't no government, no farm have built a city in this country. No union have never built a city in this country. There's a way to create the money. As long as the city got their hand in low-income housing, you're going to catch hell. You ain't got no business. If people can put the money together, parlay Go to the tail of ponds. Parlay your equity in your house in your neighborhood and build the property and when it's accepted everything is left off your property and you got the deputy. Nowhere up here have said anything about the deputy. Nobody. You cannot do anything if the government gonna control the money. Property sector. People when you see a candy store closed there's a lot of shit gonna happen here. A lot of shit gonna happen right here in Sacramento. You are ignorant. <laughs> You are ignorant to facts. The city manager, where's your report? Oh, well, they done a good job. Where did they get the education from to do a good job? Should be no uh, education requirements. We wanna know what is the next step? You can't go nowhere in this city. All the stuff, you tell about. oh, this person is great, this person respect. I don't get respect. I saw something happen over at the original, uh, North Sacramento. Right there. Stand in front of me and never say a word, but you're going to shake hands with everybody else. You know, people, I, uh, the black guy was here. I told him, I don't shake hands with people that kiss ass and sh- wipe their hands, shit on their hands. So it that not bother me, people. Just think like that, don't bother me. I am independent and I will always be independent. I am the oldest business since 1960. Business was helped in this town, but they didn't respect me. Look at the corner of Second Avenue. That'll show you about training. What went on there building those houses. You,
1: Thank you for your uh, comments. Our next speaker is Barbara Ram, Robert Copeland, and Keon Bliss.
49: I, I wasn't sure I was going to talk tonight, but then I just couldn't help it. Um, thanks, Katie, for what you said about why we need a CBAO. I had no idea what that was, and now I have a better idea of what it is. Um, I just... When uh, the city did their presentation and they documented the city of Detroit and the city of Richmond, I was like, well, why would you use the city of Richmond if the project from the city of Richmond doesn't really match the project that we have here or match the city? So I asked the SIWD, did you give them any of the information? They're like, we made a matrix and we handed it to them and we talked to them all the time and so the city chose to use Richmond or the city of Detroit instead of any other city that was on their matrix. And I was just sort of like, why is the mayor saying that these groups don't talk? But they do talk. But then they don't always accept what the other side says. So I was a, um, a little bit bummed about that. Um, and I, interesting to know that the SIWD actually exists. And I think what Sacramento investment without displacement because the mayor wanted to know what is the point of a CBAO and I think it's in the name of Sacramento investment without displacement and also as a taxpayer, I want the threshold to be really low and I say $3 million of public money at a minimum, maybe it's a million but I also think a CBAO That doesn't have to be negotiated every single project. When the mayor's like, why don't we have flexibility? Can you imagine having to negotiate the whole thing over and over and over again? It seems like a little money waster and a time waster to me. That if we have some minimums, that that would be a good idea.
1: Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Robert Copeland and Keon Bliss is our final speaker.
40: I wish the city council would get things right. I mean, that cannabis today, that should have been solved long ago. And so was housing, homelessness. Uh, There were people coming for homelessness before I started joining the city council, going to the city council meeting. And that was under Kevin Johnson. So that's got to be eight years ago. Get it right. Where is that, Lisa Kaplan, Mayor Steinberg, Eric Guerra? And I wish the city council would violate, stop violating the Brown Act, stop violating the First Amendment. I've been told more than one time, you gotta, point the board, you gotta speak to the whole city council. If the one city council says something I don't like, or I, I ask a question, I, they, should, they should listen. I've seen past city councils talk to each other, doing paperwork on a dais wrong. Either do your job or step down. And I, like, I know a few people I'd like to see step down from the city council. It was Eric Guerra, uh, Lisa Kaplan. I wish uh, somebody recall her. Mayor Steinberg's uh, leaving, so I'm not worried about him anymore after this year. This city council is a, a failure. Have you seen Sacramento? Have you actually seen Sacramento, all the city council members? What are you doing about it? Make it better for all people. Have you seen, uh, I wish that Midtown and Downtown Partnerships were here. I've got a few questions for them. There's other, they're doing such a great job. And there's parts of Downtown and Midtown that look like a uh, slum. I'm talking about Jay and Temp. I hate to uh, say somewhat uh, like Katie Val-Wheeler different because I like Katie Wayland. I'm going to vote. Thank
1: you for your comments. Your time is complete. Keon Bliss is our final speaker.
50: Greetings, council. Uh, I'm not going to take up too much of your time. I just need some clarity when it comes to the Chapter 2.4 ordinance. Uh, I was recently informed by the city clerk that Uh, The personnel and public employees committee is not going to meet next month and we have our 2024 work plan and priorities um, on the dock ready to be approved uh, so that we can get, uh, so we can move forward with important business. Um, I was under the impression that last year the mayor gave direction to allow for commissions and and boards and committees to um, continue to meet on those items even as they may be moving forward through the updated process, uh, for approving those. But, um, I want to avoid any, uh, disruptions that may come from, uh, us not being able to approve our work plan before, uh, whenever the PMP committee meets next, uh, in April, I guess. Um, so wanting some, uh, direction to understand We have items that we wanna bring up and we have a schedule laid out in that for uh, requesting presentations. And uh, are we able to do that without having, uh, even as our work plan is being discussed and and considered? Um, Happy to make adjustments, but I don't wanna go into a back and forth where we have to, answer questions about whether we can continue our work forward, especially when we're only limited to nine meetings this year. I do plan to ask uh, to request an additional meeting so that we can come up to our usual 10 at least, if not 11. But um, yeah, fewer meetings that we can actually agendize and get to work on our, our our priorities uh, means less ability, less ability for our commissioners to do the work that they were uh, appointed to do. Thank you.
23: Thank you. Madam City Clerk, would you mind having yourself or a member of your team reach out to Mr. Bliss about that?
1: Absolutely. Thank
23: you. All right. Uh, If nothing else is to come before the City Council, we are now adjourned at 4.58 p.m.